Come on and join me on the B-side With movie stars that weren't in their prime Made other movies that got left behind That got them covered on the B-side You're gonna like it on the B-side Cause you got Dan and Connor by your side Throwing your knowledge from the inside And now you're listening to the B-side Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the B-Side Podcast for the film stage. Connor, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Whoa. Watch yeah, out. I'm He's doing, excited. I'm doing Dead great. Reckoning weekend that's we the record. That's the thing. I saw Dead Reckoning for the second time yesterday, so I'm just, I'm feeling good. Sure. My I posted about this. Wait, I think it's Billy Ray's favorite Mission Impossible I movie, right? I saw that. We don't have to go that too is long correct. It, but I I was impressed by that. that. So I don't know if I agree, but I, I I respect it. It's definitely, I think I posted my little ranking and I had it, I think, third. I really liked it a lot, too. Um, my mother-in-law so, would agree with you, Billy Ray. She called me today and was ecstatic coming out of the movie theater. So I, I put it one for, for one solid reason. It's the only Mission Impossible movie I think I've seen yet where I didn't feel a lull. Mm. Yeah, and and that's and that's why it kind of rose to the top. It just it 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 felt like it was just almost like just perfectly constructed. It felt like a perfectly constructed sure. adventure film. And and also, I mean, let's be clear. I mean, Kittredge is back. So yeah. how can you and not? The, how can it Zerny, not be? Zerny Viles, as we call. Yeah, them. We're, uh, we're we're all we're all yearning for Zerny. Yeah, as, we as sure are. Um. But that we're not going to talk about mission today. Obviously, not a B side. Um, so let me be clear: Kathy Bates would make one hell of a villain in Mission Impossible. She oh would. God. She would make a great IMF secretary. Oh, she'd make a great like new head of the IMF. Sure. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuck, se- Does, fuck secretary. No, make what, her no, the head of the IMF. Isn't that what they call oh, them? Yeah, yeah, the secretary. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, secretary. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, not um, like taking somebody's notes. Kathy okay, would, Kat would never do. No, Bobo would never minute, do that. For a minute there, I thought I was in the sixties. I apologize. <laughs> um, that's a great call. I feel like, well, they alluded to bringing Angela Bassett back. She's um, yeah. she's on a photo on the wall. Uh, oh, is she? Wait, Angela Bassett's on a photo on in in what wall? Uh, in the in the movie? In the in in the you know the big first exposition scene. Uh. She's oh. on a photo behind Carrie Ellis. That's interesting. Um, what was I going to say? So yeah, great, uh, great weekend to record a Kathy Bates B side who um, has a new something new coming out, right? Mi- Billy Ray? Mi- it's it came out this weekend. It's called Miracle Club, and I'm going to be seeing it tomorrow. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, okay. I was going to say. I was like, is that Liz Linney in that? Laura Linney. It's in that? Laura Linney and Maggie Smith are also in it. Oh, I love that. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, anyway, our quickly just before we get, excuse me, too far into it, are there's obviously a plethora of B sides we could choose from, and so we're going to stick with only one today, and that's the David E. Kelly show, Harry's Law. So we'll be talking strictly <laughs> Harry's Law. Just kidding. That's it. Um, <laughs> I can so I can go deep. I can go deep on I Harry's did Law. Watch, I will say we were kind of joking about it in prep for this. I did watch like four slash five episodes oh. of Harry's Law. I had not seen it. And yeah. um, thoroughly, look, in the world of David Kelly, thoroughly my type of thing. Like, I, very, I, I, yeah. Had, had had that show come out now and had the same ratings it did back then, it would be a hit. Oh my, 
bro it would I be was, i had hit. this exact thought i know dude the fact yeah. that they cancel it is like obviously you know what is it 10 years ago 2012 i guess it's it's funny now to think about it Brittany but essentially Snow, nate Corgi. but also let's be clear they're basically just doing harry's law 2.0 with this new matlock reboot well, that's she's, what assen- I was gonna... she's essentially just playing Harry. That's <laughs> what I was going to ask you about. They're doing Matlock with Kathy Bates. I was like, they're just doing Harry's Law and calling it. They're just IP wrapping it, you know, which is the way yep. to do it nowadays. So Look, quickly, if that's the... what gets us more Harry's Law, <laughs> yeah, then well, exactly. okay. I'll it's be worth watching. it. It's yeah, worth I'll, it. I'll be watching. Um, our four real film B-sides today, and should we we probably will talk a little Harry's Law. Um a home of a home of their oh sorry a home of our own yep uh, the Tony Bill film uh, Dolores Claiborne the Taylor Hackford film Love Liza the Todd Luzio film and Richard Jewell the Clint Eastwood what a, film what a strange Mount Rushmore of directors you just mentioned well Todd Luzio you know <laughs> mostly an actor you would know from Jerry Maguire he's the babysitter he's the one of the uh, not the not Jack Black yeah. at the uh, music store in High Fidelity, one of the right. best movies ever made, as we know, and um, and Taylor Hackford is like one of our great workman directors, married to Helen Mirren, like the perfect last name for what he's given us on and off. I like and love Tony that Bill last name gave us Flyboys, you know. Well, Tony Bill is actually interesting because he is like a legit kind of a very accomplished producer, like produced the sting. Yes. You know, like stuff like that. And then like very early on, just started directing movies, stuff like my, he directed my bodyguard. Like he's made movies for a long time. And I think Flyboys was such a debacle. I don't know that he's done much since. That was the James I think he Franco. just does t- TV now, right? I believe that yeah. was the James Franco Martin Henderson World War One pilots film. Indeed. Epic yep. Flyboys? Yeah. Yep. Uh-huh. Um, yep. But anyway, Kathy Bates. Now, Billy Ray, you kind of brought this to us. You were like, hey, yep. I would love to talk Bates. And when, of course, we were like, oh, my God, who wouldn't? We'd love to hear about Bates. So where? tell us. What was your first Bates? What? Why, why do you love Bates? Uh, just give us the Bates of it all from your point of view. Um, well, so for as long as I can remember, when anyone asked me who my favorite actress is, depending on the day of the week they catch me on, it's either Meryl Streep or Kathy Bates. Mm. Without fail. Um, I, my first Bates that I can remember is probably a lot of people's first Bates, which was Misery. Uh, that sure. was my first... Re- I mean, I, I had seen Dick Tracy and I had seen Arthur Two, and I had seen like, Co- well, I hadn't seen Come Back to the Five and Dime yet, but um, but I had seen these these films that she had like these really minor roles in. She wasn't in many movies. Like she's in the she's in the Paul Brickman kind of little scene, Risky Business follow up, Men Don't Leave. She's in the Sydney Lumet movie, The Morning After, which is kind of an interesting movie. She's not in that much, like no, film, no, she, film wise, film wise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's got a few films. Most of them are bit parts. Uh, well, I mean, that's not. I mean, actually, her third film ever, Come Back to the Five and Dime, is a pretty significant role. Right. But that's because she originated that role on Broadway, and Robert Altman just took that entire cast from Broadway and put them on screen. Right. So, so that's more that. But Misery was her first leading role, and that was sort of my first real introduction into her. And even at eight, which is when I saw the film, mm. and I remember my dad taking me to see it in theaters because even at eight, I was a big Stephen King fan. Sure. And um, and I had and at that point, I had read Misery, and it was like, oh gosh, I can't wait. And um, and so that was it. And then it was honestly from that point on, I was just kind of, 
I think part of it was is that she reminded me so much of a lot of the women that I grew up with. Because right. I'm from the South, I'm from Alabama. Yeah, I'm, she's I'm, from she's from Memphis. Yeah, I grew up around these sort of these folksy women, and um, and she just and she reminded me so much of them, like my aunts and my cousins and just friends in the community. And so I really, really latched onto her. And then, of course, she it, it, the very next year she made for what for the state of Alabama is probably one of our crowning jewels of cinema, which is Fried Green Tomatoes, yeah, right. which was shot in around Birmingham, which is where I spent most of my my time in Alabama. And um, so, you know, and went on from there. And then, like, I, I mean, just, you know, she was just someone who was like, she was always someone that I was so excited. I followed her. I always knew what films she had coming up. And, and I was always, even when she was in films that weren't necessarily like great films and look she's made just she's made her fair share of, of clunkers but she was never the issue yeah ever she was always someone who brought something unique and something like authentic to a role yeah. and, and that's what i already appreciated about her and her her career has had ups it's had downs and and now she's kind of hit this level as a performer where she is just you know she's a reliable supporting actress and I keep waiting on someone to take another chance and really like give her an opportunity to knock it out of the park because yeah. she'll, she'll do it. Give her the yeah. chance and she'll do it. Yeah. So, I mean, she's 75 as we record. Uh, like we said, she's from Memphis. You know, she broke late, right? Like she moved to New York in the very late 60s slash early 70s. Her roommate um, – knew that Milos Forman was looking for a singer for a sequence in his film. I believe it's called Taking Off, which yeah, I believe that's... Buck Henry is the lead of that film. I was watching pieces of it earlier. And her roommate was like, Bobo, you got to well, do nickname, it, Bobo. Her nickname was Bobo back then, yes. as, as Kathy Bates has said. So she rec Gail, her roommate, recommended Bobo Bates to uh, Milos Forman. She's got like a one-minute kind of a standout scene in that movie in which she sings a song she wrote, I believe, called An Even In Even the Horses Had Wings. And it's quite lovely, to be honest. And then, but then she's like on the theater, like she's like on stage in New York for like eight years. And Dustin Hoffman sees her in a play, I believe, and wants her to be a part of a movie he was going to direct and then and then ultimately ended up only starring in called Straight Time. Great movie. Uh, really good movie. Um, and that kind of is the beginning, right? And then it's like she's in stuff we mentioned. She's in, you know, Come Back to the Five and Dime. Like you said, Billy Ray originated on the stage, right? She does. She gets a lot of great notices for um, uh, she was on stage for Frankie and Johnny. But then Michelle Pfeiffer takes the role in the Gary Marshall adaptation like 10 years later. You know, the same year as Misery, I think. You know, and so like Rob Reiner sees her in a play, which gets her misery, right? It's like she's yeah. a theater person. I mean, I think maybe yeah. that's forgotten now because well, she's this kind of living legend. And, you know, yeah. and now her big, you know, it's funny you mentioned now her big like meaty roles are, are you know, no joking. I mean, all jokes aside, it, it really is stuff like Harry's Law or like Disjointed mm -hmm. on uh, on Netflix or like, or probably like Matlock, right? Like, you know, okay, a procedural maybe, but like she's doing a lot of, she's the lead, um, yeah, in these things. You well, know? and and I I want to I want to drill down on her theater more because people don't, I don't think people realize how yeah, much please. of or yeah. she was in theater because I mean, um, and, you know, she apart from come back to the five and dime Jimmy Dean Jimmy Dean, 
which she originated that role in the play. And then Robert Altman basically took that entire cast, Cher, Karen Black, the whole cast, and and filmed it, you know, for that film. And then, but also she originated the role in Night Mother, which is one of the, mm. I mean, one of the most complicated female roles in theater history. She was nominated for a Tony for that performance. She originated the original role in the show Vanities, which I had the good fortune of producing back in Birmingham. Originated, uh, I mean, just was uh, originated so many roles in the late 70s and early 80s and was like a really powerhouse Broadway actress. And so we talk about her getting started late. And um, and she did, you know, she got started in um, uh, when she was like 34 in film. 30, she was yeah, 34 I mean, when she really had her first film. And but, you know, makes sense. I mean, she was owning the stage in, in Broadway like she was she was it. And that wasn't a period of time, really, when someone who, you know, frankly, looked like Kathy Bates was getting a lot of great roles in Hollywood, or at least not the kind that would probably interest her enough to want to do them. And I've heard her do interviews before where she talks about like why it took her so long to get into it. And she was just like, that's where the roles were. She was like, I was offered roles in films, but the roles that I was being offered in theater were, were much stronger roles. Mm. And she just went where the roles were until, you know, it finally got to the point where she was like, well, if I'm going to break into this business, I'm not getting any younger. I'm going to have to do it sooner or later. Right. And so that's when, you know, that's when she starts doing, you know, like those, the taking off and the straight time and like, you know, those bit roles. And, um, and yeah, it was, um, I, I, I believe the show that Rob Reiner saw or remembered her from was night mother, mm. that that was the role that I he remembers so. from. I believe so. And that's how, and that's how misery can, but yeah, she, you know, people, people gloss over sometimes how, you know, important she was in New York theater in the late seventies and early eighties. It's, yeah, no. it's funny to think about that too. Cause I feel like if you don't have that context and you watch misery and I'm, this is not to take anything away from misery. Right. But with that context, her, the quality of her performance. And I don't just mean that cause it's very good and it is, but just like all of the qualities of her performance in misery, like, make way more sense if you know that right like and it, because you're seeing her pull just a lot of tools from the toolbox like simultaneously like engendering both like fear and disgust and sympathy like all at the same time and that feels like you know that just feels like somebody who already has a whole command over everything that they have yeah you know in their arsenal um which i think is really interesting yeah, and the other show that I wasn't thinking that I was trying to think of that she originated the role in was Crimes of the Heart. She she was in the very first production of Crimes of the Heart in Louisville. And um and that was the other one. She just there's so many that she originated. So um yeah, I mean she's just, you know, she's kind of done it all and she's done it all really well. And um, you know, people yeah, and I just I really don't think she's ever fully gotten the credit she deserves, even though she's won an Oscar, she's been nominated for a Tony, like she's she's won the accolades, like her peers certainly respect her, yeah. right? But like I don't know that I don't know that she's ever gotten the respect she deserves from like the mainstream audiences and like and movie fans the way she deserves. Yeah, and it's funny, eighty you know, I was thinking about this. Eighty nine and ninety were very I mean, even though you had very traditional wins as well in that time. Very exciting for acting Oscars during that time because you have the Kevin Klein win 
and the Kathy Bates win, which were like very rare comedy in a horror yeah. movie winning Oscars. And then the silence of the lamb sweep is like the next year that's 91. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, that's an exciting time for Oscar during kind of what I think is regarded as like, maybe not an incredible time for movies, right? Like the right. late eighties, early nineties, no one's ever being like, Oh man, we need to go back to that. I don't think <laughs> right, right, that right. being said, those are really like progressive, interesting wins, you know? And I think, I kind of wish we had more of those, I'll be honest. But yeah. Well, yeah, one she... of the things no, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. You please. Yeah. No, no, I was just gonna say, and you know, and she's also, I think one of the reasons that maybe she isn't as well as respect or real regarded, not respected, because these types of films don't really garner you respect. But like she's also an actress. She's never been given an opportunity. You know, we were joking earlier about her being in the Mission Impossible franchise. Like, no one's ever really given her a franchise to do something with, right? Sure. Like sure. she's she's not someone that people are seeing in Marvel well, films or seeing well, I was gonna... in like I was going to ask, what are her A sides, right? So her A, because 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 Dolores Claiborne were probably cheating, right? She, it's it's probably closer to an A side than well, a B side. Well, I, I was saying earlier, in hindsight, I wish I would have maybe chosen Primary Colors, which is my favorite mm. Kathy Bates performance. Okay, but that's funny because I was going to say I would certainly say that's an A side because I was going to say to me, if you think about her. Titanic has to be talked Misery, about. Misery, Titanic. Misery. Yeah. The Water Boy is, uh, you know, <laughs> it, look, yeah. it's a huge A side. I mean, it. Oh, no. It's no, a huge A side. It was absolutely. a monster and hit. It, like, you know. The, the other B side I would have maybe mentioned was The Late Shift, right? It's a right, TV movie, good, but like that would be but, a good one. Yeah. She steals that whole movie from everybody in it. Yeah. And, she's, um, that, that's about the. Uh, so, for those who don't know, The Late Shift, really quickly, The Late Shift is a good movie. It's about. The behind the scenes kind of usurping of power, you know, power struggle after Carson leaves the the uh, Tonight Show betwixt David Letterman and Jay Leno. Right, Jay Leno kind of came in and you know famously kind of swooped the role, took took the role meant to be for letter meant to be for Letterman from him. Yeah. So, yeah, and and I would say in terms of her, like, I mean, obviously, yeah, like Titanic and things like that, like Midnight in Paris, I would consider an A side. Yeah, that did really, yeah, that was that. did really well in that. Like, she's definitely got about Schmidt is an A side. Right, like, one. she got an Oscar nomination for that and is incredible in it. And um, yeah, so I mean, she's definitely got some A sides, but she doesn't have anything apart from Titanic. Right? Titanic's you know universally huge. Like, that's by far her most probably and, and not. And not she well known stands role. out. She stands out in a huge movie. Like she well, is like very she's memorable got, in that. Yeah, movie. she's yeah. got one of the most memorable roles in that film. But yeah. she's never been given, like, and maybe she hasn't. I mean, I, I, that said, I guarantee you, if someone offered her a role in like a franchise thing, she would probably take it. Um, and it's like she just hasn't been given that. Like, why is she not in the Hunger Games? Like, why is she yeah. not in you know what she, Mission you know Impossible? What, you, and like, you know what would have been a good B side that's also based on a play. Actually, she's good in uh, Prelude to a Kiss with Alec yeah. Baldwin and Meg Ryan. I like that movie. Yeah, um, she, yeah, she is very, she is very good in that. And yeah. um, you know, Angus is another one I could have pulled love out. Like, Angus. Yeah, love Angus could have easily pulled that. Out. I mean, so many of these films, like most of the films that she's in, I could have pulled out as a B side. Because she's she's great in all of them. Love. I watched Angus many times. I did too. I loved Angus. Yeah, I, I did too. George and, uh, C. Scott's the grandfather, right? In that. Oh yep. my God, he's yep. like he's so good in that movie. Yeah, but you know she's but yeah, like you know, but she's also you know she's made a lot of like bigger films that did not do well, right? Like Around the World in Eighty Days, right. and uh, you yeah, know, she's, um, she's we can't forget she's in the Golden she, Compass. 
Well, and we can't forget, stood she, still. she plays uh, Colin Farrell and uh, Scott Kahn's mom in American Outlaws. Ma oh, Jane. Yes. Right. yes, yes. <laughs> she's, you know, she's done her fair share of, of bombs. And it's like, again, she's not the problem with those films. No, she's, but, um, if anything, always a value add. Like, yes. I don't ever think I've been like, oh, no, Kathy Bates. Like, you know, like... Cause she's not half-assing you, right? Like right. I, you know, yeah. she's in "Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret." You she's know, great this year, from early this year. She's fantastic great, in great that in film. Movie. It's yeah. a supporting role. <laughs> she brings so much to it. She never isn't giving, you know, a hundred percent. And like, you know, the Miracle Club just came out. She's got a new film by Richard Legravenez uh, with Nicole Kidman that's coming yeah. out. You know, in twenty twenty three, she's good in. Uh, she's good in Tammy, the Melissa McCarthy film. If you remember yeah. that, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She, I don't she's think I ever saw Tammy. She's good in Tammy, yeah. She's yeah. I'm looking at it right now, yeah, because it's also Susan Sarandon's also in it, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And look, the movie's terrible, but she's having a ton of fun in Bad Santa too. Yes, she's the mom. She's Billy. uh, Yeah, Billy Bob Thornton's mom, and she's having a blast. She's having a blast. God, bad, bad Santa too. Wow. And don't forget her role as Miss Sue in The Blind Side. Oh God, The Blind Side. So okay. Let's jump into our first one, right? Which is yep. a home of our own, which you said yep. Tony Bill uh, directed the film, which um, is uh, written by Patrick Shane Duncan based on his life. Um, I'll do the quick synopsis here. Um, a quick one. It deserves a long synopsis. <laughs> sir. It's, it's set in the early 60s um, in which a matriarch, uh, who's a widow, Frances Lacey. She basically um, takes her six children, Edward Furlong being the oldest, and throws them all in their beat-up jalopy and just drives and drives and drives until they can't drive any longer. And the whole point is, like, she's driving to find their their forever home, right? Like, they've moved from apartment yeah. to apartment. The father's passed away. You know, her husband um and they're barely making it right like she's she's a very well-worn stubborn woman and so they wind up in idaho they see a house that has the pieces there it's not completed but it looks like it'll be beautiful if they can it's essentially like a large barn like exactly it's on it's on it's on a property uh mr uh munamura who they call mr moon who uh um it's played by Suntik Oh, who I think was like yep. uh, uh, lovely in this film. And so anyway, yeah, yeah. yeah. She, they don't have any money, but they're going to work to basically own this, you know, barn house. And it quickly becomes this just kind of a coming of age story for the Edward Furlong character, who's ostensibly kind of the co-lead, Shane Lacey. And it's just about how they make their ends, how they make the ends meet. You know, the children help build the home. She refuses charity, right? She's not a religious woman. It's a very American story, right? It's got this very kind of like, but American in all the good and the bad ways. And I do think the movie kind of sneaks up on you where it's like, at at every moment, and Tony Bill and some of his other films that we even mentioned, Flyboys being one of them, has a tendency to get very kind of, schmaltzy and put a lot of lacquer on it as you'd say i will say here you get a little bit of that but certainly like i said for me at least it snuck up on me like it's really a very 
like like if it really underlines like America is an incredibly hard place to just be alive in like whether it's 1962 or now or 1912 and I think like she, she this is three years after she wins the Oscars right this is two years after fried green tomatoes this is like a Kathy Bates vehicle right? yeah lead of the film her movie and she is so freaking good like yeah it's such a and it really speaks yeah. to like not i feel i feel like this is like yeah we talk about this all the time now and it, but it's like so obvious it kind of speaks to just the misogyny of the time that this movie was basically just like <laughs> tossed away by anyone who came across it where it's like she's such a complicated character like how many roles would Kathy Bates ever even get a chance to play that? Right. It's right. Like you and it feels, count them on your hand. It feels you know, so like, perfect in the way, like this is one of those movies where people say like, Oh, it feels like so-and-so was born just like was born into the world just to fill this role. Right. And like, yeah, this, like yeah, I how think, many other, I think both this and play Dolores this Claiborne like feel like that. Like they couldn't possibly be played by another person like nope. yeah i can't nope. even think of who else could have played yeah. francis no. lay yeah i don't know not not at all yeah i i saw this film when it first came out i was probably one of the two people that saw it in theaters yeah it made um, nothing. yeah, yeah it, it made nothing and and i i i loved it from day one um and it was b really because of her performance that i always latched onto this and look edward furlong is good too i'm not taking anything away from edward not he's edward furlong but um there are just so many scenes and it's like the reason I think that it doesn't tip get too much into the schmaltz because for every scene that could be taken as schmaltz, there is something that hits so hard yeah, and that it, and that it doesn't shy away from like the abuse and like, oh, yeah. you know, the sexual assault and like, and like all of these things that it could have really sort of kind of tried to sweeten down. It doesn't do that. Like a kid, it, it, it a gives kid you like almost punctures a lung yeah, on a rusty yeah. nail. Yeah, like, and there's yeah. like, I don't know that there's a more heartbreaking scene in a movie than when she gives the kids the Christmas presents oh and she's my made, God, he's made yeah. he has made this big deal that we're gonna, we're gonna, um, we're not gonna really uh, get real presents this year. She's trying to save money, essentially. She doesn't want to do real presents. And so they all get, they buy gifts for the house, right? right but what, and of course, yeah. the kids think she's, the kids think she's joking. Yeah, because she the wraps kids think, them up. She like, exactly. they're like wrapped up like actual Christmas But then they, they open and it's like a doorknob and it's yeah. like, a, like a tool. Yeah. And like, I love that the, the kid who ends up burning down the house, Murray, loves his gadget though. Yeah, I love yeah, that. That yeah. was so great. But like, yeah. just fucking the Murray. Looks, just the <laughs> looks on those kids faces and then oh. and then her reaction to it where you just see her she is destroyed because you know, she I, realizes she's done something to these kids now that she can't take back can yeah. i tell you the scene that was that for me uh um equally if not more so late in the film the you you mentioned the abuse this horrible things ha happens to francis and then the proprietor of the business that she works at is kind to her yeah and her reaction to like a human on earth mm. just being kind and it's yeah. not like it's not the priest offering charity where it always feels like with priests or any yeah right any yeah. religious figure it's like a little there's a quid pro quo happening whether you think whether there is or not it feels like that this is just a human being who's like i'm on your side i get it you're right 
and I've taken care of it and like just go rest. And her yeah. reaction is like yeah. so heartbreaking because it it's like and has has it ever happened to her since yeah. her husband died, right? You know, yeah. like you know, she was like I mean, blessed with this yeah. good man who passed away. And it's this like, is yeah. really a movie about someone having to put aside their pride and accept that people can be good. Yeah. Yeah. That's what that's what it which is. She is had, why, which is why it feels so deeply American. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Like yeah, someone, was, yeah. someone who is someone who has like worked their ass off, been through the ringer, probably thinks she's never going to get a break. And like and she she has to learn to trust people. And like there's such a simple sort of like fable, but it's like she crushes it. Like her emotions in this are so authentic and so raw and like. And like you just you understand her character. You may not agree with her character all of the time, but you understand her character 100 percent of the time and why she's doing what she's doing. And the other scene I love is is she and Edward Furlong have a really beautiful scene in the car mm. together yeah. towards the end of the film. And um, and it's just and it's 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 that it's, you know, it's the scene where you expect where she's basically talking about. And I think it's after she's hit him. She, yeah. she yes. spanked him. Yeah, she's yeah. Spa she you knows she's done what her husband used to do which well, is yeah, no well 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 yeah it's it's she when when she's mad at the kids specifically shane edward furlong she says go get your father's belt exactly exactly and then we'll like you know hit the kid and he she goes overboard though one yeah. time and yeah it's after that and it's like edward furlong has a great night out with a date and she gets assaulted yeah and and it, during that kind of the beginning of that third act, they have this conversation where they're just very yeah. odd, you know, because they're like the two adults. Like even though he's not an adult quite, he he's the man of the house. For he has to be an adult. Yeah. Great in this movie, and I yeah, kind of really was is. like shocked, like because I admittedly like, you know, I, I was I mentioned to you guys like while I was watching this, I DM'd you, and I was like, I you kind of forget how present he was in the year. Like he really got the Sam Worthington, James Cameron style bump, where like. He like did Terminator 2 and then was like in things like really like was yeah. popping up in things we covered on a I think it was our Meryl Streep episode we covered yeah all uh, the way all the way through all before and after is yeah, a huge yeah, one yeah. but yeah. all the way all the way through American History X he was yeah. very present yeah. in the 90s. which I kind of I don't know I guess I just I don't know if I ever functioned to or whatever but I and I truthfully like have never really really kind of vibed with him. So I was sort of shocked watching this movie. I was like, oh, he's like really good and like hitting all the right notes. And like, you know, I was kind of ragging on Tony Bill before, but there's something to be said for like, I don't know. He he directed something out of uh, yeah. out of furlong. Well, you know, what's funny, too, not to because uh, uh, Flyboys is not a strong picture, but. I was watching actually some of it uh, yesterday after watching this because I was like, oh, God, Tony Bill. Like I was you're going a big through Martin Henderson guy. Though. Well, yeah. I will say this, James Franco, who now kind of is like in the ether of like what, who knows where he is now. But like when he was in his movie star pocket, there were so many bad performances. Yeah. Right. Yep. Like Annapolis. Right. Yes. Like, you know, a lot of look, a lot. Of, I think a lot of the Tristan and his old Tristan and right. his old. Right. Kevin Reynolds, a director I love. But like, yeah, he doesn't work in that movie. Sophia Miles is, is way better. And um, and um. And look, a lot of the Superman, or Superman, a lot of the Spider-Man stuff, though I like those three movies, he certainly, his dips are 
I think very significant. And, and even and the, like, even the good bits, it feels like Sam Raimi's like wringing it out of him, kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, um, and honestly, it's like his badness because it's Raimi is like used. He's like, "What have you done?" Right? Yeah, Where it's yeah. like so bad. You're like, "Okay, well, well the camp I, works." Raimi's yeah. making it work because he's kind of a camp genius and stuff. Yeah, yeah, you know. And then, uh, but then Oz, it just all goes out the window. My point is, Flyboys even. It's kind of one of his best movie star performances. So, like, maybe Tony Bill does have some sort of, like, he's been around and he was in that space. Like, I mentioned the sting earlier. Like, because he really does, you know, Kathy Bates. I mean, this is misery Dolores Claiborne level yeah, work it's a, here. It's I mean, a great she performance. is just, yeah. she is truly, like, you know, and I was, I, I was trying to think earlier of, like, what, you know, what's the descriptor for Kathy Bates? And I would say like, you know, consummate professional comes to mind, but then it's like, that almost feels unfair to her because it's so much more than that. Right. Mm. It's like, yeah, she's like such a, um, she's like so reliable, right? Like, you, like you said, like she, she's in the movie two minutes, she's leading your movie. It's like, it's yeah. the best two minutes of the movie. Or it's a strong lead performance, even if the movie, you know, my I like a home of our own. I think the third act is so strong, and there are parts of the first two where you kind of you don't lose the thread, but you get a little long in the tooth, and maybe you know it's not, you know, it's a little maybe. Eh, I don't want to say laborious. It's, it, it maybe gets a little slow in spots. It also feels but, like but it, it races to the finish line in an in a kind of a weird way. I, think. I suppose the way the way like the last parts of the movie play out feel like it's like God. I do love the the Murray thing though. I do love where with the toy. I mean, we could spoil it. I it's like yeah. He he they he 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 procures a, a indoor toilet. Yeah, from like the scrapyard guy because he and like when they works flush it, it off. And when they flush it, it's like New Year's you know day I know. or you know whatever. And um. And then in his excitement, he like, because he hates the outhouse, he like burns down the outhouse, not, of course, thinking that like, you know, the ashes will fall on their like, you know, still being built big house and the whole fucking house burns well, down brutal. And and a quick shout out. So Patrick Shane Duncan, who, of course, this movie is based on his childhood, also, yeah. you know, wrote Courage Under Fire, yep. wrote Mr. Big Holland's 90s. Opus. And, and wrote and directed a film which I saw a few years ago called 84 Charlie Mopic. And it's a found footage war film that he wrote that was like, I think it won an Independent Spirit Award and was Sundance. And it's a really great film that no hardly anybody has seen. And um, I think you can get it on YouTube. I'm not sure if you can get it anywhere else. But it came out in 1989 and he wrote and directed it. He also, uh, he also wrote the Johnny Depp uh, star. Oh yeah, Nick of Time. Nick of Time. I kind of love that movie. <laughs> but what's great about '84 Charlie Mopic is that the music is by Donovan. Oh, and it's just a fascinating movie. And and I would definitely encourage encourage people to him. But he's a really really talented writer. I mean, look, I love Courage Under Fire. I love Mr. Holland's Opus. I love Nick of Time. Um, wrote Christopher Walken one hell of a fun role in that movie. Sure. Um, yeah, Courage Under Fire is a good. It's a yeah. good Ed Zwick movie. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I just, you know, I love this as a kid. I love it as an adult. I watch it, you know, every two or three years, I'll throw it on and watch it. And and it still hits all the same notes for me. And the big note being is that Kathy Bates is just a fucking force of nature. Yeah. No, it's hard to argue. I think, yeah, I mean, it, it, look, it's a good note to end on. I think um, 
so the, yeah, like we said, the movie comes out, it doesn't really make a splash in any real way, which is a shame. Um, and then, you know, what you have basically, you know, so Dolores Claiborne is, um, three years later and in between you have, you know, she plays the Alaska mom in North directed by Rob Reiner, right. the, the, the famous debacle North, um, She's the detective in Diabolique, the the yeah. American Diabolique remake, which I've seen. Yeah. Jeffrey Abrams is the cameraman, J.J. Abrams, which I think is yep. funny. She's in an, I think, a pretty underrated Emilio Estevez movie yep. called The War yep. at Home. I thought about that one for, for this. That I would have been it. a good one. That Have you seen that, Connor? No, the War at no. Home? He directed it. Uh, Estevez directed it? Estevez has directed it. Yeah. He's in it. Um pretty good he, it's like yeah. a, it's a vietnam war uh, ptsd movie hmm. martin sheen is his dad yeah um kathy bates is his mom pretty good yeah. angus uh is 95 the same year as dolores claiborne as as oh so sorry um, i skipped over dolores claiborne but 96 is Di- diabolique in the word home and then dolores claiborne and angus are uh 95 as we said before dolores claiborne Taylor Hackford, Tony Gilroy, the kind of the script that put him on the the cutting edge is the thing that put him on the map, right? But then the movie that Gilroy himself has said kind of like led him into not like sports movie no. territory was Dolores Claiborne, mm. right? So yeah, uh, Hack, Hackford directed it, like we mentioned, kind of a sneaky hit, you know, $13 million budget, made almost $50 million. Um Kathy Bates, Jennifer Jason Lee, David Chatharin, uh, Eric Bogosian, John C. Riley, Christopher Plummer. Connor, do you want to quickly do the sure. synopsis for DC? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, based on Stephen King novel, that essentially, to my knowledge, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Billy Ray, but to my knowledge, basically, post-Misery, King was, like, so taken with Bates that he essentially crafted the role yeah. of Dolores Claiborne yes, in the book. Yes, like crafted Dolores Claiborne after Kathy Bates, right? Yes, um, and you that can, is correct. I mean, it feels, not only does it feel correct, but just in the movie, like I mentioned before, like she fits like a glove, like no, nobody else could be in this movie. Um, and that is basically the reason why. Uh, but it essentially follows her as, she's essentially a, a kind of a, what do you call it? Like a caretaker, uh, for yeah. a very, very wealthy woman in Maine. And the movie opens with this kind of struggle and the, uh, the her ward basically falls down the stairs and is like severely injured. And there was, you know, you overhear an argument. And so Dolores runs into the kitchen, grabs a rolling pin, is holding the rolling pin over her head and the mailman walks in and, it, you know, and you get the sense of like, she was probably going to kill this woman. And then we are kind of introduced to Jennifer Jason Lee, who is her very, very estranged daughter, um, who is a journalist. She's a journalist, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. She's a journalist in New York and um, gets a fax, a fax message, basically, that says, hey, like, is this your mother? And it's like a news headline of what's happening in Maine. So she goes to see Dolores Meanwhile, uh, we have uh, kind of a smarmy Christopher Plummer who plays this 
detective uh, who is seemingly it, like about to retire. He's uh, this is maybe his last case kind of thing. And you get the idea that he has kind of long had it out for Dolores and like does not believe that Dolores was not going to straight up murder this woman that she purportedly hated. Uh, and as things unfold, you, that is revealed because he firmly believes that Dolores killed her uh, husband, who is played by David Strathairn, who was an alcoholic. Alcoholism in a Stephen King story. Can you believe it? Um, <laughs> but yeah, that I almost don't want to go further I, I than that. Yeah, right? like, I, I, yeah. Let's not spoil yeah, it. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's on Max right now um, as we're recording. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, ba- this is definitely my favorite of the four we're going to talk about. Um, I found it captivating. I hadn't seen it, honestly. I'd oh. always, yeah, I'd always meant to. It always intrigued me. I didn't honestly know much about it. Like, Stephen King isn't really one of my... I'm actually reading a Stephen King book right now, funny enough. This book, The Institute, um, that yep. my editor buddy gave me, Adrian Carey, shout out. And uh, I do like it. And I've read Hearts in Atlantis, and I've read... Um, uh, the girl who loved Tom who loved, Gordon. So you like the less horror Stephen King, well, essentially. I like, yeah, I'm a scaredy cat, as I've said many yeah, times yeah. on this on this program. So anything that's horror, I if if you ever Billy Ray, if we ever see horror, well, actually, we did see a horror movie together, but we were sitting. Yes, we were sitting far apart, um, and I we had we had drank, so I I was, and that was more funny. What was the name yeah, of that movie? Yeah. It's a good movie with uh, Ryan oh, uh, uh, Quentin. Oh, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Glorious. Glorious, good movie. Yeah. I had a good yeah. time uh, watching that movie. But so anyway, if we ever saw like, if you ever, uh, my friend makes fun of me to this day watching Green Room, the Jeremy Saulnier movie. I watch it with my hands like. I mean, to over be fair, gr- parts of Green Room are sure, brutal sure. as hell. So. My point yeah. is, horror isn't my gore, yeah. whatnot. That's not my bag uh, usually. But yeah, I love Dolores Claiborne. And I thought yeah. it really, like, it, you know, I, I, I hate to. You know, I hate to say a trope, but, you know, we used to make things in this country. That's how I felt watching Dolores Claiborne. It looks like, great. It, yeah. It's so... Jennifer Jason Lee's astonishing, I she's, so She's also, I feel like, just... I, I feel like... I, I Honestly, I feel like the only role you could maybe swap is, you know, are literally the male roles. Like, Struthair, I think, is great in this movie, but, like, that, it seems a little bit tropey and something somebody else could do, but I do think Jennifer Jason Lee and Kathy Bates are, like, it couldn't be anybody yeah. else. Like, they... I'm not a huge fan overall of Jennifer Jason Lee. I think sometimes she really works for me and sometimes she doesn't, but she's, like, so in the pocket here. And the movie, I think, just does... There's a... Um, a kind of a magical realism to the movie, I guess you could say. There's one thing I didn't mention is, you know, one of the burgeoning kind of um, backdrops of the movie is this. With this full, is such a king, such a king yes, thing yeah, yeah, too. Is, is uh, when the maybe, maybe not murder of David Strathairn happens, there's like a full on eclipse, eclipse. solar eclipse. Yeah. Um, very cool. That's a cool and sequence. It's yeah. an amazing sequence. Well, do you think so? Um, quickly, not to derail us, but Taylor Hackford, right? Interesting director. Okay, sure. Has made a lot of movies. An Officer and a Gentleman in '82, um, Against All Odds a few years later. Um, interesting movie. A couple of years after that, called White Knights with uh, 
Mikhail Baryshnikov and um, Gregory Hines. And um, kind of gets a lot of shit, right? Like he directed Ray, yeah. right? And that's a movie that I think most people now are like, Ray sucks, right? Because it's like a musical biopic movie. And I think it feels mm. very kind of down the middle. And, you know, you know, yes, Jamie Foxx is great. He won the Oscar, but, you know, it's standard. And I think a lot of Hackford's work gets that knock. But I think he's very underrated. And I feel like if you look at this movie and then immediately after The Devil's Advocate, these are pretty interesting looking movies and even proof of life only four years after devil's advocate is a pretty solid action picture. Like, so he's just one of those interesting guys that really gets, I think unfairly maligned where like, he must be like an on time and under budget guy. Right. That's yeah. He's a producer. Right. I think he's, he's an industry guy. I think he was a, he he was the head of the DGA for a while. Like, you know, he's one of these guys, but he's a studio guy for sure. He's like, he's like a Sydney Pollock guy. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. He, look, I mean, I think this is Taylor Hackford's best film. 100 percent be hard it, um, I, I don't know what i would argue against that yeah, yeah it must but be. i would yeah. say too like to me it is a travesty because to me kathy bates jennifer jason lee christopher Plummer, and judy pardup should have gotten oscar nominations yeah so she plays vera Donovan. I, did, yeah. I didn't mention her before she plays vera donovan who's the older woman yes who, that's the they yeah. should have they should have all gotten Oscar nominations yeah. without a doubt. Like th- they are everyone in there. She has Plumber's that. Great. She has that conversation with Kathy Bates later in the movie that I will not spoil. Ooh. But it's like, well, in- there's the trailer line. Incredible. There's the trailer line, which isn't really a spoiler, but it's like Dolores sometimes being a bitch is all a woman has to hold on to. And it's like there's so many lines like yeah. that in this movie that must that just be stick that with must you. be from the book, right? I bet that, that feels hundred percent, hundred percent, and. And so I did a, so me and uh, Brian Cogman, we do this uh, nonagenarian Patreon exclusive thing for screen drafts. Whenever someone over the age of 90 dies, we do like a screen drafts of their filmography. I got this to number one for Christopher Plummer because I I love his performance in this so much. He is great. And it is, it's a perfect, uh, I I won't even say villain because he's not like, he's just the antagonist. Right. And I think. Yeah. It's a perfect antagonist performance because this man so deeply believes that she is now like a double murderer. Yeah. And you can't like a part of you is like, yeah, I mean, I don't she seems like she might be yeah. a murderer. Like, I don't know. Well, you well, know, but you know, what bums me out. And, and this is unfair. But we you know, we, we've talked about we've talked about this before in the podcast as well. The, you know, Dolores Claiborne now is mayor of Easttown, right? Which right, right. Yeah. I like, I like mayor of Easttown plenty, but it's like, it does bum me out that these things can't be movies now. Yeah. 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 You know what that, I mean? Like, yeah. I don't mind. You know how thrilled I was? I could shows. sit down for like a nice two hours and just watch this movie. But, you know, but, my, like... point, but my point is like, you, you hit it on the head describing Plummer and everybody. Nobody is simple in this movie. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, Dolores has her reasons. Jennifer Jason Lee's character, you know, who's uh, Selena, has her reasons, right? You know, everybody's complicated, right? It was, you can't you can't even say that about a lot of King books, like yeah, you know, as as far as I know them, right? And so, like, and and the, my biggest criticism of this movie, which I'm I'm happy to kind of ignore, and I'm sure is a very easy criticism to make, 
30 years on is you know it does the thing of like it's the it has a little bit of the goodwill hunting thing of like the very quick trauma in your past solve for the convenience of the narrative in in regards to jennifer jason late right which i think is fine though like i think you know, it plays a little sweaty now or a little oversimplified maybe, but... You know why this movie, the, it works in this movie, ahead. though? Is yeah. versus, like, say, Goodwill Hunting, right? Yeah, which I love Goodwill Hunting, no, too, right. but, you know, the, a, the, you know, the breakthrough you gotta, scene, which you, never happens in yeah, any psychiatrist's office. Really, yeah, you yeah, got to yeah. really kind of power through that moment. Like, enjoy it yeah. and move on, otherwise it sort yeah, of yeah, yeah, doesn't yeah, hold yeah. up. But, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. Like, th- I think the reason it works here, one, is because the movie is already doing stuff that you know it's got a lot of sauce on it in terms of the style especially in the way that it deals with memory and the way events play out and and things like that like that's a constant theme in the movie right so i do think that when it gets to the trauma that you're talking about like it doesn't feel out of step with the rest of the movie. And in fact, it yeah, feels like something, certainly. it feels like something the movie is naturally building towards. You're like, there's still well, no, so a that's hole, why, there's still a look, hole here, right? Like, and that's why you cast Jennifer Jason Lee. No, and she, she doesn't, is so can personify. She does a great job know. and she not unlike living of, tragedy better than anybody. See, see Mrs. Parker in the vicious circle for more on. <laughs> well, she just has it. And in this movie, particularly, she has she's able to communicate that sort of really nuanced estranged daughter thing of like i totally get why you're upset but also like shut the fuck up like it's like a little it's like equal amounts of like would totally. you just like you take it get, give your mom just a little bit of a break right and it's like but at the same time you know yeah and and i I I I like I, I mean it, it definitely goes for the Twelve Angry Men ending right yes, because like yeah. it's the same sort of thing like Twelve Angry Men is all about you know uh you know the you know the juror coming to terms with why they're obsessed over something but unable to see the truth and that's sort of the Christopher Plummer who you know it, I don't want to say how that movie ends but that's really how the Christopher Plummer's character sort of winds up at the end sure. as well. Which adds a, which is interesting because Christopher Plummer is, is, I guess, is, I mean, David Strathairn is the straight up caricature antagonist of yes, the film. Yeah. But Christopher Plummer is in antagonist territory a bit, but you feel sorry for him a bit at the end, too. What's cool, because, what's cool about the Strathairn performance, too, and like the reason he feels so stereotypical. Yeah. Is he only exists in memory, right? Yeah. So he only yeah. exists as like the most heightened form of an alcoholic abuser, right? Like yeah. um Ah oh, yeah, this movie's good. Yeah. Shit. And look and 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 also I, you know, and you know, great supporting performance, Eric Bogosi and Bob Gutt and John C. Riley, they are all great in and not huge roles at all. Yeah. But like um but but still terrific and and yeah and David Strathairn's performance I think is easy to kind of overlook because it is so caricature but he's great yeah like he's a great, oh, great piece of shit makes a great piece of shit yeah but also makes like you know like look at something like the River Wild makes also and a I great think, fucking I think that's, husband I think like, that's the thing he no he's like a great piece of shit but he plays it's he's, not he, 
He's just as convincing playing an absolute piece of shit as he is playing well, the nicest guy in the world. He can communicate the brokenness. Like, he feels well, yeah. I was so say. thoroughly like a broken human. And literally yeah. only three years after this, not a great movie, but a okay movie adapt, adapted from a great book, Simon Birch. Sure, yeah. Right? Which he's, is he's, on, he's great uh, in that movie. Well, so yeah. he's the priest. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's a complicated role. He's not great. But he's not bad, but he's got issues, and that's a that was I think the first probably the first thing I ever saw Strathairn in because I was I watched that movie. When it was it came the out. River Wild for me? That was my maybe the River Wild, but like he's I was a little hotty in that movie. Dude, the base, the friggin' and, uh, Lord knows when I was ten, I had not read John Irving, right? But the the baseball thing in Simon Birch haunted oh, the, me. Yeah, the left yeah. haunted me. <laughs> Poor Ashley Judd, man, haunted me yeah. my whole freaking my, life. I think my first experience with him was a League of Their Own, probably. Oh, right. Uh, He's the right. commissioner. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's Ira Lowenstein in that movie, and right. and maybe even you know because I, I was a big baseball kid, so I had seen Eight Men Out. Like I had seen. Sure. Oh, you know what? You know, Never mind. Eight, Eight Men Out was the first movie because I was a huge yeah. baseball kid, and, and my dad showed me Eight Men Out when I was younger. Yeah. And I remember seeing Silkwood when I was really young, but I don't think I had any, enough to like really identify David Strathern from them. I mean, he's not a big role anyway. Yeah. But um. But yeah, no, like super always reliable actor. I mean, you know, doesn't get like huge roles anymore. In Nomadland, obviously, he was great, great in that, in that and, yeah. and, and, lovely, and in a, in a yeah. small role there. But um, yeah, I mean, this movie, like this book, is it's my favorite Stephen King book by oh, far. Okay. By far, and I love Stephen King, and and I've read all of his books. I was obsessed as a kid, but it's not even close how much I think. What's this your is his What's best your book. second favorite book? Out of curiosity, um, probably, probably it. Just you, for can I, just for you, the expanse of it, yeah, and like, it's an unwieldy. It, it's it, it just, do you just, like yeah. either of the two ones I've read slash oh, I, the one Hearts, I'm Hearts of Atlantis is top five for me. Okay, yeah, I girl, it. girl who loved Tom Gordon would be top ten, top fifteen. Okay, good. Okay, I, well, all right. I all love right. Cy and Cycle of the Werewolf. I adore, even though that is a very different kind of book. It's more like a novella, and it's written in a very different kind of way than anything else. But I love Cycle of the Werewolf, also known as Silver Bullet. But um. Uh, but yeah, no, this one to me is just, it's a dip. This is like when I don't use this word a lot. This is like a towering book to me. Like it's like it, it it's in the themes it's dealing with the execution of it, the, the way he is able to create that world. I mean, it's not set in Maine, obviously. Um, I mean, I mean, it is, I'm sorry. I, I misspoke, but like, uh, it's set in Maine, but like it's shot in Nova Scotia. It's, it's shot in Nova Scotia yeah. and like, you know, like having been to both Nova Scotia and Maine, like you could trade those two out as far as I'm concerned. And they look yeah. pretty much the same. And like, I, I don't know, I just everything about this movie. And it's not like it's a totally faithful adaptation. I want to be clear. Like there are certain things that are that are left out. And I'm trying to think of anything specific right now that would that bugs me. And it's not anything huge that bugs me, but it's just. What they managed to do, what Tony Gilroy managed to do in Shocker, Tony Gilroy's an incredible right. screenwriter. Right. Right. He he gets everything in the book. Like he gets he just he he picks the book, he cherry picks the absolute best shit from the book and, and makes it makes it all work in this film. And Taylor Hackford, and look, like I said, Taylor Hackford's not one of my favorite filmmakers, but he directs the shit out of this. So I give him all the credit in the world. But I give Tony Gilroy more credit because I think right. sure. this script 
is what is so fucking strong about this film. That's, and, that's a good, that's a really good thing to point oh, out. And for the sure. Danny Elfman score, which is yeah, kick ass. Does a lot. The score. Kick-ass. Does a lot. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's funny. Elfman really, this mid 90s, like Nightmare Before Christmas, the Mission Impossible score, this, he was really firing off in every genre. Like, really, the moment for Elfman was. Oh. Was was this moment? The other line I was thinking of, which I can't believe it took me so long to think of, because it's the poster line, which is sometimes an ac- an accident can be an unhappy woman's best friend. Like there yeah. are so many yeah. of those lines. <laughs> that I just feel like King was <clears throat> so on fire in terms of his prose with this book. It's like yeah. so, there are, there are more quotable lines in this book than any other book he's and it ever written. Works. It, it, I feel like in a more like if this were Mayor of Easttown, right? If it were like a more grounded, grittier, whatever show, and some of these lines get dropped, I'd be like, fuck you a little bit. Like, I'm well, a, don't you think? Know, I mean, like, that's it. Look, talk speaking of King, and I only watched like two episodes of this show. Isn't like Lizzie's story a good example of, of it not working? Right. The Pablo Lorraine. Oh, yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah, I, absolutely. And, and look, I mean, we could do. I mean, look, Stephen King adaptations are generally, generally lean towards not good more times well, than not. The, well, there's so many though. Well, I know, but on the whole, I've always found it to be very difficult to get Stephen King right. And like in I, your, in and your I mind, think that, what are like five that? I mean, are there, there five? May, and that there work? may be only five. So I would say Dolores Claiborne. Shawshank. I would say I would say Misery. I would say Shawshank. I would say um Stand by Me, maybe. Maybe. Okay. Um, I love Stand by Me, but if I'm thinking about like that really nails it, I would I would say also the mist. Oh mm. God. So I, I would say the mist and then I mean maybe stand by me, maybe, but like as far as I'm concerned, like the rest are just like they're some some are good. Like I think the Hearts of Atlantis film adaptation is a good movie. I don't think X, it's yeah. a bad movie, but it's they not. They take out like yeah, it, it's it like doesn't 200 nail it. Pages of the book though, it, that it just, book's like 700 yeah, pages yeah. long. It's like, it just yeah. doesn't nail it. Like it doesn't yeah. nail it. And I, I, I mean, I think Frank Darabont has been the most successful at understanding even, Stephen King. Even the Green yeah. Mile. That that actually that's probably would be my fifth because you know, I actually love the Green Mile I and I think say, it's a great the, adaptation. The Green Mile gets a lot of crap, and I get why, obviously. Magical black man, blah, blah, blah. I get it. I get it. That being said, there are sequences in that film I still think about to this day. Like, it's not, it's pretty, there's not, it's pretty effective. Like, like it's it's a pretty effective uh, movie. I haven't read the book, obviously, but I, I think... It gets one. It really gets a lot of crap because it came out in '99, greatest movie year ever. Got nominated for Best Picture. There's like 35 movies that are better than it from that year. So I understand why it gets all the crap it gets. But I, I think it kind of is an interesting film for sure. Well, yeah. I will say, I'll say this. I mean, about in terms of Darabont, like Darabont is the only filmmaker, and it's not saying a lot because he's only directed four features. He's the only filmmaker alive where every film he's directed, I think I've given five stars. 
Right, because you love the Majestic, right? Oh, I, Majestic is an all-timer for me. I think that's it does, another it, movie I defend as well. I have to it say. is so slept on and got so much shit, and I think it is one of the most beautiful pieces of Americana ever put on film. Mm. And, uh, yeah, and I, people I mean, I rave. Not, I don't feel that strongly, but I do. People, I, I don't. I hear what you're saying. Yeah, people yeah. rave about uh, Martin Landau and Ed Wood, rightfully so. It's an incredible performance. He's just as good here. He is just as is just as fantastic here. And um, yeah. but yeah, but Darabont, I think, is the only director who's really, un really just innately understands how to translate Stephen King material. And and nobody else says Mike Flanagan. No offense to Mike Flanagan. I, I, I like a lot of his stuff, but even he doesn't get Stephen King the way you need to get Stephen King. Mm. That's and and um, but yeah, but um, but Tony Gilroy does like Tony Gilroy under understood the assignment. And um, I would love Tony Gilroy to adapt another Stephen King book. That would That'd be, be cool. incredible. Yeah. That'd be That'd incredible. Be cool. um, but yeah, I just, you know, this film, yeah, I think this film is, it's it's haunting and it's sad and it's hard to watch sometimes, but it's also incredibly entertaining. It's very, it's extremely compelling. It's like. Yeah. Yeah. And a weird, and like just its aesthetics are weird. And I think part of it's the well, Elton score. I texted Connor 30 minutes into watching this where I was like, so locked in and i was like i didn't realize this was like a masterpiece movie i was like this <laughs> yeah, is yeah, no, i was like yeah. i yes. was like very shocked i was like I, oh so this I is like, like a great I had like, okay i had pieces <laughs> of this movie kind of burnt into my I, I don't think i had ever seen this movie like all the way through but i had watched it on cable like when i was younger you know like in pieces i remember it was on cable yeah. like a lot and so there are certain things that i just remember visually and there's finally near the end of the movie a shot of like the full eclipse and she's standing against it and it's just this like kind of money shot basically and i just had a moment where i was like oh right this is amazing like i you just kind of like i don't know it all kind of the extra bit of style that's in this movie whether it's the way that it looks and it was shot by uh gabriel uh Beristain, mm -hmm. um who kind of has like a uh, like I, what seems like a workman's DP kind of filmography a little bit, um, but yeah, but yeah, shoots I, the shit out of this movie. I think and this like, is honestly, I think the best shot thing he ever did. Yeah, as I'm looking at it, I mean, like Blade Two certainly looks like a thing, so that's cool. Like, you know, there there are things here, but. Um, yeah, it's oh, oh 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 I'm sorry. Harold and the Purple Crayon next year. That's going to be uh no. Um but well, the, uh, the, the actually movie coming I out. I don't know according to Wikipedia. Oh, it's man, coming I remember out next I know year. that book. That's the kids book. Um, um so quickly, so all right. Now moving to Love Liza would we'll probably spend less time on cuz she's in it a, a not a whole lot but Titanic 97 obviously memorable 98 primary color she's great in this this movie's come up before on on our podcast a very good movie Mike Nichols and Elaine May working together you know working together for the first time in decades uh when they made this which is super interesting um and kind of forgotten like I think people realize that like the duo that literally invented improvis improvisational comedy made like a Bill Clinton political comedy in the late 90s um and then the Waterboys '98, uh, 
without a doubt one of her most iconic performances like whether you like it oh, or not oh sure I oh mean, sure without, sure without, yeah. you know you know uh Bobby Boucher's mom and then i have to mention this cuz i always think of this scene a movie i low key love is the Steve Zahn a civil action. One of my yeah. favorite legal films Low ever. Low-key love a civil action. Saw it when I was way too young. Blew my mind. And what I love about that movie, it's probably freaking, probably Travolta's fucking best before. I, he's amazing in that movie. Well, at the end but, of the, but also, but also, let's be clear, one of, I think, Robert Duvall's most underrated. He got oh, nominated for an Oscar, but he's incredible. Incredible. Everybody's a Tony Shalhoub. Everybody's incredible in the movie. And so, just, Kathy Bates is in two seconds at the end, but it's like, I think about the ending. Yeah. I don't know, monthly, where like this slick yeah. lawyer gets a crisis of conscience and just defends a town over a water poisoning thing, right? And in the, I'll just spoil it. Sorry, it's a true story. In the process, literally loses every cent to his name, like everything. And so at the end of the movie, he's in like bankruptcy court. <laughs> And Kathy Bates is the judge. And he's just like negotiating, like, I don't have a pot to piss in. So like, let me, can I settle all these like debts and stuff? And so Kathy Bates has like two lines, but it's the best ending. She's like, I have to ask Mr. Schlickman, like what happened to all that money? And then it like cuts back to John Travolta and you see him like reflecting on all that he's lost in the, you know, in the, in the name of trying to help yep. these poor people. And then it cuts to black. And I, dude, I think about that ending. I swear to God, once a month. I think it is. I think it is. Can we triple Bill? Can we I triple? I think it's his best performance. Can we triple he, Bill somewhere have, like Michael Clayton, Dark Waters, and a civil action? I mean, like, that would be a great, very sad to watch. I mean, look, I throw, I throw the Rainmaker in that sure. as well. Oh, God, I think sure. underrated Coppola and. Um, like Love there were some, maker. there were some banger legal thrillers in the nineties. Somehow we can really the were. informant in there too, just to mix up the genre. A little well, the real, bit. the yeah. real, the real, the real three of of like poison water dramas would be the Rainmaker, Civil Action, and Dark Waters, right? Like, yeah, right. that's your like. Well, you know, well, I, I, th I would, I would actually say Aaron Brockovich uh, yeah, right, goes right. into that, goes into yeah, that bucket that's too. True. That's I, true. Aaron Brockovich has only grown in my estimation. I was going to say that's almost. That is almost a step above. We could maybe. get we could get yeah. Mark Ruffalo to underwrite a whole little film festival um, of just oh, yeah. legal <laughs> oh, thrillers, hell. and of course, opening night would be the verdict, right? Him and, and, uh, no. him, and Ed, him and Edward Norton, yeah. Connor, could, remember yeah. remember from uh, our job right. we did, yeah, where oh my God. We, were, we did a job. The, oh, anyway. the two well, hulks. We'll, the two we'll, hulks. We'll get into it, but there was a conversation about would Edward Norton come if Mark Ruffalo was there because yeah, he took his job, which is a fun yeah. Uh, and Edward Norton didn't come, by the way, which yeah. which I don't wonder. I wonder why. Uh, anyway, um, but so yeah, Love Liza is a Sundance movie. Comes out oh two, maybe oh three. Oh no, yeah, limited no. at the end of oh two. Yeah, so it yeah. premieres at Sundance, the beginning of oh two. Obviously, Sony Pictures Classics release it. Probably the most Sundancey movie that's ever Sundanced. Is there has there ever been a more Sundanced film? Certainly fits the bill. That's for Ri sure. <laughs> you know, O2, written by Philip Seymour Hoffman's brother. Um, it's basically a film about a guy named Wilson whose wife Liza has killed herself. And um, in the aftermath, his mother-in-law, played by Kathy Bates, is trying to kind of get through to him he's a computer programmer graphics designer of sorts 
and he develops in his trauma, in his grief, he develops an addiction to huffing, which right. for those who don't know is literally uh, huffing gasoline, right? Which such a specific Sundance-esque, like, you know, like it's a the movie about huffing, right? Like if you're, in, if you're, you know, in line at the library, you'd be like, oh, this is the movie about huffing. Oh yeah, the Philip Seymour, oh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, okay. And um, like we said before, Todd Luzio directed it. Um, what did, I always confuse this moving movie with owning Mahoney. Um, <laughs> okay. I don't actually think I'd ever seen this one. I, I've seen Owning Mahoney. Um, Billy Ray, maybe tell us why this one made your four. Well, I mean, I'll tell you why. And this is one of this is probably of the four my least favorite overall film. Okay, I would agree. Um, I, would, I would agree. I I think it is. I I don't think that the Philip Seymour Hoffman character is much of a character as much right. he is as an idea of a character. But it's Kathy Bates. Like, that's why I watched, that's why I, when I watched this film for the first time, I didn't care too much about the Philip Seymour Hoffman character. I did, I, I really didn't. But I was so moved by Kathy Bates' performance in this film as this mother who has essentially lost her world and who is so, is empathetic enough to still be able to like care about what her, son-in-law is going through and actually genuinely care about him and thinking about the trauma of being a mother and knowing that your daughter who is who has killed herself has left a suicide note and and, but not but like he won't read it like i don't know there's just something about that that i find to be so heartbreaking and 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 the way she plays it is full of so much love and so much empathy but also with that like edge that kathy bates has and like she doesn't let that go either. And well, and she don't... has she has the best scene in the movie, which is the only, ironically, the only scene without Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah, yeah. where yeah. she where she's talking to the coworker, and she's like, "You want to date somebody? Date date this guy over here." And she like grabs the guy. <laughs> yeah, like really yeah. a great scene. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and also this is another one. Like this was shot in Alabama. I remember when it was shot in Alabama. Mm. Oh, I remember wow. it was a big deal that, that Philip Seymour Hoffman was there and Kathy Bates was there and it was this big thing. Yeah. And so, you know, I have a little bit of a nostalgic attachment to it because of that. But I think, you know, you said it's the Sundanciest film to ever Sundance. And I think that's a good way to put it because I mean, it is, it is ramshackle in a lot of ways. I mean, it is, it wears its budget on its sleeve, but I find yeah, it's, it's myself. A sh- it's a shaggy ninety minutes, which is very yeah. Sundance. It's very it's, Sundancey to be that and it's, way. And it's not an easy watch. You're essentially watching a human being just. It almost feels like a Todd Salons film at times. Like you're wa- basically just watching this this character basically destroy himself, yeah. and 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 no one can stop him. And you don't leave this film necessarily thinking that anything is going to change. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, it's just one of those Sundance films that, and it's, but it sticks with me. And the reason that I go back to it every now and again, I don't watch it a lot. I've seen it maybe three times total, but the only reason I've even rewatched it those couple times is because of Kathy Bates, because I just think she is so great here. And this is a perfect example of, of a not great film where she is giving like a really nuanced, really authentic, really sh- powerful performance. And she really and- commands kind of the screen every time you see, you're just like, yeah. oh, like, you know, like, but also yeah. you get to see like, like one of like 
I adore the film Doubt, right? Mm -hmm. The John Patrick Shanley film. And part of what I like about it is you're watching two titans, Meryl Streep and Philip Seymour Hoffman, basically like a cage match. Yeah. Going at each other. Now, this is a very different style, very different tone, but just getting to watch who I consider to be the greatest actor of his generation go against someone that I consider to be the greatest or second greatest, depending on the day you ask me, actress <laughs> of her generation. There's just something delicious about that. I about wish she had more. That. I wish it was a little more her movie. Like, I agree. Yeah. I agree. How, I actually wish it was more Steven Tabalowski's movie, but we'll get into that <laughs> in a later because he pops up in this in a small role, which have, I love him too. Uh, this is a stupid question. Ha have Kathy Bates and Meryl Streep been in a movie together? Oh, oh, that's, hang on. I don't think so. I don't think Cursory they've done a glance. movie together. I don't think they've done a movie together. Um, yeah, quick no, search they shows no. Yeah, she, wow. Kathy Bates was Kathy Bates was the only actress of that age not invited to the evening party when that film came out. I was out. gonna say, how is she not in evening? <laughs> I know it's like they, which is be, be, be frank, a terrible movie. But, yeah, not a strong picture evening. Yeah, yeah, but they get like all of the greats in there, and it's like Kathy Bates missed that, and then Kat, and then Meryl Streep missed out on what I call the Bonneville, uh, which you know Bonneville is Kathy Bates, Jessica Lang, and Joan Allen. Oh, so sure. like, right, right. They're, they're always in these movies. Well, but Nick, they how did Kathy Bates not get up. invited to the uh, August Osage County party? Right. <laughs> oh, well, look, there is a world in, I mean, yeah, exactly. Like, there's a world which you, I mean, Meryl Streep was just delicious in that role. Kathy Bates would have been just as delicious in oh, that role. Oh, for sure. Je Jessica Lang would have been just as delicious in that role, right? Like that, as much as I love Meryl Streep in that, and I do love her, a, there are a lot of actresses in that generation that could have really crushed that. Yeah, 100%. and um, And I'm not saying that, but, but, you know, Kathy Bates could have also been great in that Margot Martindale role, which is low-key the scene-stealing role of that whole play. Right. And, um, yeah. but yeah, no, like, Kathy Bates to me is the one who gets forgotten a lot in those in in those casting rooms when people are making those decisions. She's to me is the actress in that age range who gets forgotten a lot. You know what's funny? Um, in Harry's Law, one of the early episodes, yep. Margot Martindale and Kathy Bates have a fucking awesome scene. They go tip for tat. <laughs> yep. yep. I think it's like episode three. It's like well, a well, good. She's like a parole board officer. But that's part of it. I think Margot Martindale started taking some roles from Kathy Bates. Sure. Sure. I think she started taking like roles that would have initially been like, oh, we'll get Kathy Bates for this. They got Margot Martindale because they could probably get her cheaper. Probably. Right. Right. That's a good point. right. Because she yeah. didn't have an Oscar. She doesn't have, you know, all this stuff like they could get her cheaper. And so they did. And I think Kathy Bates lost. On all... I'm not blaming Margot Martindale. I think she's a goddess. But like, oh, yeah, yeah. But like, I think that's part of what it was because they fit the exact same role type. Right. They have that exact 100%. same. Um, I would say I mean, no, I'm not going to say that. I don't know. I wouldn't say I would say I mean, I certainly prefer Kathy Bates. I wouldn't say that Margot Martindale is any less of an actress. I just prefer Kathy Bates. Yeah, I guess I. And do then you get too. the Anne Dowd of it all that also kind right, of sweeps Dowd, into right, that. Anne Dowd right pocket. behind. Yeah, just, but just... Anne Dowd is a little bit different. Like Anne Dowd can play certain types that they can, but Anne Dowd, I would I would almost say has even though I prefer Kathy Bates, I would venture to say Anne Dowd has a wider range. Then either and, of and Dowd has a meaner streak about her. She does. In like a that more, might be the way to say like, it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because like, because I'm thinking about like, I don't trust. Andal. I'm thinking about compliance. Yes. Yes. Like, think about compliance. Like, Kathy Bates couldn't have played that role in compliance. 
or like, I guess not. Or I guess. like, I wouldn't believe no, it. Maybe. There's no ambiguity in a Dolores Claiborne with Anne Dowd, right? Like you're like, no, she's no. a murderer. <laughs> like, well, it's because Kathy Bates has this like underlying edge, like sure. this under yeah. that I don't think Anne Dowd has. I, I don't think she has that same edge that that Kathy Bates has, and neither does Margot Martindale. Margot Martindale's is different, but I also look at him like, but then again, like I'm like. Could Kathy Bates have played the role that Margot Martindale played on Justified? Absolutely. Hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. She, yeah. Absolutely. That's she interesting. Um, yeah. It's an yeah. interesting, it's an interesting thought experiment. To, yeah. I mean, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But, but yeah, I, but Love Liza, like it, it's not a great film. And, and, but you know, then that said, like I wasn't looking to add, I didn't, I didn't even think that I needed to add all great films. No, on this, no, no, not, not, at B-side. All, not at all. It's to a, me, it's about the performance and like the movie's not great, but Kathy Bates is, tremendous like she's really good in a role that could have easily been not it could have easily just been a phoned in performance it well, could have I mean, been like like connor said a hundred percent underwritten i mean no question yeah right and i think yeah, you know yeah. she you know steven mathobolaski plays a potential client of philip Seymour hoffman's who's you also have jack really killer who yeah is you listeners might know him the most from like the big lebowski he has he's, right uh, right the landlord and the big lebowski but um, he's great he's this. yeah he's like he and kathy bates i think are the, the two biggest like scene stealers slash like saviors of the movie and it's weird because we're talking about philip seymour hoffman no he so it's like hoffman's good in the film too i think but to your point about um uh i think his name's denny in the film um yes yeah he is one of the most human and look this is look a great thing about sundance movies a lot of times he's one of the most human things i've seen in a movie in a long time where so they're racing boats right because a way that the wilson phil Seymour hoffman character tries to hide the gasoline huffing addiction is he like becomes inadvertently yeah. like a radio um, control hobbyist basically yeah. yeah and so denny's actually a radio control hobbyist and he races these boats and he like has this boat that he's very proud of and so through happenstance they're in louisiana at a boat race and um the denny character wins the quarterfinals and so he's able to stay the night to race in the semis right and he has this yeah. great quick little monologue where he's like what's great he's like i don't i he's like i don't even worry i don't even care about tomorrow like i could win tomorrow because i already won so like and he has this whole beautiful thing where he's like I'm not even worried. I'm not even worried. And you can tell he's so worried, but he's doing yeah. that thing that people yeah. do where it's like, no, no, no. I'm just saying that like, I already I'm, won. It doesn't even matter. I, yeah. I already and then won. the yeah. next day, he, of course, he loses and he's so fucking mad about it. <laughs> and it's like the most relatable human, like beautiful <laughs> yeah. acting, like good writing credit to, to, you know, to, to Phil's, to Phil's uh, bro. Like, really well rendered scene and he's like no he's like we're, we're leaving now wilson like losers leave like losers leave and you're like oh man this poor fucking guy you're like so so on his side yeah so, like I, yeah and this and jack Keeler unfortunately passed away last year but um and it's how sad that his like three of his last four movies were all james franco films no. He was, is he that got true sucked, he got sucked up in like the jet the faulkner franco oh he period. did so he did he sound did. in the fury and dubious battle and then fucking zeroville like oh, he he's ended, in he's in father stew the uh yeah that was his last film but like there has 75 of your last films be james franco joints like i'm so sorry jack Keeler. 
I have seen Father Stew, and I do remember him in it, and I recall him being good. Father Stew, look, not the strongest film you'll ever see, you no. know, directed by Mel Gibson's girlfriend, but you know, look, Rosalind Ross, shout out. Yeah. Um, uh, they do. If you watch the Max show, Wall Street, W A H L Street. Yeah, they, there's a lot about making Father Stew in that show. Yeah, a lot. I, I don't need it. I don't need Mark Wahlberg <laughs> in my life in any substantial way. So no, you're not. You don't watch Wall Street. I don't watch Wall <laughs> Street. Did, wa did watch Wahlburgers either. <laughs> Um, they talk a lot about Wahlburgers on Wall Maybe Street. Maybe in a too. few years he'll get so rich that it can be Walmart. Oh, hey, no, go. they would get they would get sued immediately. No, no, I mean he gets it. so rich that he buys it. Oh, okay. <laughs> he buys Walmart and and adds an H. Oh, I love that. That that would actually be pretty great. Um, and he changes right. it from a super center to a funky center. <laughs> so, all right. So, Love Lies, we said, comes out late. 20 uh sorry 2002 yep. um, yeah and then yeah so then i mean what we're kind of approaching right as we get to obviously richard jewel's very recent 2019 it's kind of what you were saying before billy ray she kind of in real time becomes like a just living like oh yeah we all love kathy bates i feel like right. post titanic yeah she's kind of approaching that right where it's like yeah yeah I'm trying to think of like a comp from the past. Like, would you say like, um, oh my God, now I can't think of her name from the Poseidon Adventure. Shelly Winters. Winters. It's a little Shelly Winters, you know? I, I think it's very Shelly Wintery. I think Sigourney Weaver suffered a similar thing too. I think at sure. a certain point, people just was like, oh, well, we just love Sigourney Weaver. Because I think that the horrible thing about that is when actresses get there, that's when they start losing out on the mo, mo, real start losing out on a lot of the great roles. They get some. Don't yeah. get me wrong. They get some, but people take them for granted. They start getting taken for granted because they're just so consistently good. I feel like the great roles that actresses in that pocket do get are when writers or directors are like, it's got exactly. it's this person, right? Like exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like something like about Schmidt, right? Like I sure. think something like about Schmidt is, which about Schmidt comes out the same year as Love Liza. Like it's the same yeah, year as like, that. But also like, I think she's great in like Revolutionary Road. Absolutely. Yeah. She's great. Right. Look, she's great. Like she's great. Revolutionary. She's, she's great. in. I mentioned that film earlier, Bonneville, which is not a great film. But she's really good in it. Like she's really solid. Like she she's, is great. She is great. You said she's it great in um she's great in the Tyler Perry movie, The Family That Prays. Oh, sure. Where she, okay. Where she's going up against uh Alfre Woodard and it's like two powerhouses going at each other. Like she's terrific. Like she's really yeah, good in like, that movie. You mentioned it before. She is truly great in Midnight in Paris playing Gertrude Stein. It's a great, great performance, scene-stealing performance. You know, her and Corey Stoll and uh, Tom Hiddleston together all kind yeah. of like, like in real time, take the movie away from Owen Wilson. And yeah. I also think, you know what I think is actually great in that movie? Like, really great. And I feel like I'm in the minority. I think Rachel McAdams she's, is hysterical. She's great. Rachel McAdams is great in yeah, that. Rachel McAdams great. is great in everything. Kind of like, a, Kind of like a bravely acidic performance. But like, I was going to say, I think so, in a, a lot of the Woody like, movies, right, yeah. that character, like the shrew, yeah, you know, which yeah, is like yeah. a very common, you know, in his films, obviously there's often a wife character like that. That, 
in my memory of, uh, you know, I've seen all of his films, like that's the, one of the sharpest renderings of that character. Like it's very funny. Like yeah. I yeah. really enjoy her in that film. Anyway. But I also um, want to throw in there too, cause we, we skipped over these two, but I also want to mention me. like had a prolific like run of television films as well. And oh, like, yeah. you know, like, you know, we mentioned the late shift. She was, she did the TV version of Annie where she played Miss Hannigan. She Love was incredible in that. In that. Yeah. Love She's in that. so good in that. She directed uh, a movie that she did in 2005 called uh, uh, Ambulance, Ambulance Girl. Girl. Yeah, yeah. And like, so she, you know, she, but that's the thing is like, even when she was doing these big Hollywood hits, she was also going to TV and she was also doing when, you know, at ju that w just when that's when you started seeing like actual big actors really starting to get involved in these TV films. And like, and she was great in those. But yeah, I mean, she had so many ups and downs after like, in, in, maybe not downs, but like, just be, I think be, I think you can sum it up by saying just being taken for granted. Just you know what's interesting? She hasn't really been on stage since the late 80s. Well, she, no, wrote, she, gave, she gave up theater. And she rode yeah. the Ryan Murphy train for a while, right? Oh, like, yeah. And, you know. and did a great job sure, in sure. riding the Ryan Murphy train. She, like, some of the accent work she does in those shows mm. is incredible. Oh, like my the, God. She's Joan Blondell in the Betty Joan thing. Yeah. Yeah, but like did. she did that season of American Horror Story where she plays not the one where she plays Madame Lalaurie, but the one where she plays it's the one oh god, I can't even think of the season, but it's the one where they're in the house and like she's part of the group is it that the are hotel? after the or is it here, the I'm apocalypse? No, I'm gonna tell you which one it is. Um because it, it because the accent work she does in that is like I think Revel Roanoke. It's oh, okay. Rowan, oh, sure, sure. where Rowan, she no. and which is a, a season that I like that, but she plays uh, uh, the butcher, and, and that's uh, the one that's like also like a documentary, right? Like a true yes, crime structure. Yes. It's, right, it's right. kind of one of my Loki favorite seasons, but the accent, right. like that old world accent that she does, is frightening. It is frightening. Like she is so menacing in that role. I'm glad you mentioned that because I forgot to touch on like the Ryan Murphy stuff because. She she really did find kind of a, a second life there for a while in television doing that stuff, and um, and and yeah, and thank goodness that Ryan Murphy, you know, absolutely, you know, loves her and wants to keep putting her in stuff. You know, I have thoughts, but not even that. I, what I did not mention in that period, I fucking love her in the Office. Oh yeah, right. She's she in is, like the late. Season, she she's right? in like eight episodes where she it's after they sell the company. Yeah, she plays the CEO of Saber, and uh, she has got some of the best lines in that fucking show. And she commits to it, and you can tell she's having a blast. You can tell everybody else is having a blast working with her. And uh, I just I fucking love her in that show so much. And yeah, she had a great run of television there in the 2000s, like a really great run, yeah, which continues. Which continues. Well, and we like, and we mentioned, you know, we we mentioned earlier Harry's Law, you know, lest we forget. Um, well, yeah, I mean, you know, she's won an Oscar, she's won two Emmy awards, two Golden Globe awards, two Screen Actors Guild awards, been nominated for a fucking Tony, like, you know, she'd done it all. She'd done it all. Um. So okay, Richard Jewell. Yep. Our final film directed by Clint Eastwood, written by Billy Ray. That's right. Who is I'm going to be having on my podcast it? very soon. No way. That's oh, so cool. Yeah. We we kind of became uh, we kind of became like loose Twitter buddies when he saw he saw that my Twitter name was Billy Ray, not the Shattered Glass Dude Bruton, and he got a kick <laughs> out of that. It just messaged me out of the blue, and so and then I was like, "Hey, you want to come on my a movie mixtape?" He was like, "Hell yeah!" 
That's so, and so cool. That's I always say I always say that I'm the third most famous Billy Ray, right? You got Cyrus. Billy Ray Cyrus, Billy Ray the screenwriter, <laughs> and I always say I'm the third most famous Billy Ray, which they're how many people can say they're the most, they're the third most famous anything? Hey, that's a great point. That's uh, a great yeah. point. Written you got, by Billy Ray. Going to talk breach? You going to talk about some breach? <laughs> I think breach is underrated. I, I and Shattered like, Glass I, is one of my one of my absolute favorites. I both, love Shattered they Glass. They both rule. They both rule. Yeah, I love. Um, he seems like a very honest guy. Like I, I honestly would love to get him on the B side because I think he seems like somebody who would talk so honestly about his. Oh craft and his experience because like he did he's done interesting stuff like he did the last tycoon for amazon yeah oh yeah. right you know yeah. what but, i mean he you know but, but you know what his most famous achievement is tell me the amc nicole kidman commercial oh he wrote right. that he wrote that he wrote that i forgot i want to get him on screen draft so it's billy ray versus billy ray we're trying to make that happen because oh, I think that would a be a blast. That'd be a blast. Um, just seems like he's a really cool dude. Like a really like, like no ego, like n like humble, like but like whip smart. Like I really, really, really am enjoying sort of slowly getting to know him um, a little bit in little ways. I mean, we're not besties or anything. We're just Twitter friends right now. But um, but like so, like I'm really digging that because I've always really liked him as a screenwriter. Oh, I love. Well, that and it's for funny you. with with Breach. You know, Robert Hansen just died. So, yeah. oh, right. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Um, but anyway, okay. So he wrote Richard Jewell. Richard Jewell, um, it's based on the Marie Brenner book, directed by Clint Eastwood, like I said. I guess, it, is it actually based on, oh, no, it's based, oh, sorry. It's based on the article by Brenner and the book, The Suspect by Kent Alexander and Kevin Salwin. Okay. And yeah. um, it's about Richard Jewell, who, if you don't know, is the, security guard who is monitoring Centennial Park in the height of the uh, Olympic Games in 1996 and basically spots a suspicious backpack that turns out to be a bomb in there. He saves a lot of lives, hero in real time, but then just as quickly as as happens in America, right? You know, bringing back uh, hard to live in America, a home of a home of our own style. Um just as quickly he is accused in the press of being the prime suspect of the bombings, right? So basically his dream comes true because he'd always wanted to be a law enforcement person and then just as quickly it becomes a living nightmare, right? So Sam Rockwell plays his attorney. Kathy Bates plays Bobby Jewell, his mother. Olivia Wilde plays the journalist in question. John Hamm plays the FBI agent who's, who is the leak. Um, I really like this movie. I'm a big fan of Clint Eastwood as a filmmaker. I think he's yep. got this. We were kind of talking about me and Connor were kind of talking about it earlier. Eastwood has that thing. Honestly, Woody Allen has it too. Um, it's very rare. I don't actually understand with Eastwood how the films are so compelling because he doesn't do much with the camera often. But somehow he just puts it in the right place or the actors are just doing the exact right thing that it's almost always compelling. And I think Richard Jewell is a great example of like a less is more type of a thing. Um, and uh, Paul Walter Hauser plays the titular character. He's great. Um, and yeah, Bates is like amazing in this movie. She got nominated for an Oscar. Yep. You know, one hope she'll get 
one she will get one more role like this before you know she's 75 now before it's kind of too late but like yeah the scene like the scene that comes to my mind that like floored me again last night was like when they come in with the warrant that's, and they take all that's her the stuff. scene i was yeah. gonna say she just breaks she can't she, she breaks, breaks down, down. Like, she also, my underwear she, yeah like, she feels like, the most like a real person in that i mean i know she's playing a real person but i'm just saying like i believe that is the scene where i most believe like oh that's not kathy bates playing richard jewel's mom like that's, that's bobby Jules. Yeah, Jules. Right. Yeah, like, yeah yeah well and I, I i'm gonna try to say this and not and not get emotional like nothing in the world there is nothing in the world that is that like obliterates my soul like my mother crying sure Ugh. like like there's nothing on earth and I've unfortunately been in situations where I've, I've had to watch my mother cry in a similar way. Mm. And it brought back it brought back that exact moment where I, I literally had to walk out of the theater for about two minutes because yeah. it, it hit me so hard because it felt it was just so real. It was so real that I had to leave the theater. I just couldn't handle it. And um, and yeah, she's just incredibly like you you don't for like after the first minute you don't even think it's kathy yeah. bates it's bobby jewel one and i feel the same way about paul walter hauser who is incredible in this as well like he he he's really really strong here i mean he's he's perfect casting right like he looked just like the dude but he the way their interplay together as actors it is so sweet and so wonderful i believe like, i believe every minute of it like i yeah i mean yeah. particularly her like it's and i think it is to your this goes back to your point, Dan, about like where Eastwood puts the camera. There are so many scenes, uh, particularly in their home, that consist of like essentially master shots, right? And it, I, it really, I mean, it's a shout out too to like the production design and all of it, because like it really does feel like Kathy Bates is just some woman who lives in a home yeah. in Atlanta or outside, yeah. you know, wherever it is. And like, they just came in and started filming there. Like it really, yeah. there's a quality to the way, which doesn't, I think always happen with Eastwood movies. And particularly I think doesn't happen a lot necessarily yeah. with some of his more recent work where like some of it feels like a bit of a pastiche or like it's got just yeah. like a little yeah. bit too much of a thing on it. And like, the way this movie looks just, I don't know. There's like a hyper yeah. realism to it that I don't, you know, I don't well, know. And, I feel and like it like, could go the other way and really kind of take you out of it, but it really is like totally seamless. Well, and also like, like there's this thing with like, you know, with, with impoverished people, and I'm not saying they're impoverished. They're certainly lower middle class, sure, right? They're not, right, they're lower yeah. middle class. And it's that idea of like, I don't have a lot. But what I have is mine. Right. It's very important. Like, yeah. I don't have much, but I have this. This is my space. This is my stuff. And the idea of having someone invading your space mm -hmm. and touching your things and going through your things. Like, for someone like that, I know people just like that, where that's like soul crushing. Yeah. Like, I can't even have this. It's the one thing that I have, I can't even have. Not, not unlike a home of our own. It's a deeply American thing. It's like a very, yeah. like... Well, yeah. even like, and, and, and just, her, like, look, I, you know, we all go up around people like Richard Jewell, right? We're like... Yeah. A, a sweet person, mostly, who probably takes everything way too literally, yeah. right? 
probably is, you know, or not probably, I mean, the movie posits, and I think this is mostly true from what I've read, like, you know, is, is too trusting, right? Like his love of law enforcement is like a constant, you know, point of comedy in the film. I think well, well rendered in the film. I love Sam Rockwell just looking at him the whole time when he's like, what are we not going to do when they come Rockwell in? Rockwell like, is also so He's very good. So yeah, good. he really is. Yeah. And, he really and like, is. He's like, he's like, what are, we, what are you not going to do? You're not going to talk. You're not, you know, he's like talking to uh, Richard Jewell and then like, that, uh, yeah. like Paul Walter Hauser can't, playing Richard Jewell, like can't help himself to be like, I'll help you with you. You guys need yeah. anything? You want to drink it? Like, and like just cannot help himself because all he wants to yeah. be is a cop or you know, dream of dreams and FBI agent. Right. right. I mean, you know, and it's like, and now you get, these people are you get the home. sense though, like what I find fascinating and it's the reason their interplay is so great is that you do get the sense that like, you know, the trustingness and that the like level of maybe just sort of the barrier of innocence or naivete that he has is probably because of his relationship with his mother, right? Like there's this like yeah. pervading sure. thing that like it's the one thing he has, to your point, Billy Ray. And it's yeah. also like the reason it's like the thing that's getting in the way at the same time. The scene that did it for me to what you're talking about, Billy Ray, uh, isn't just her reacting to like them taking the stuff, but it's specifically the scene. So it later on in the movie, they realize they're being bugged basically yeah. by by the FBI. And um, and Kathy Bates has, you know, like the longest day on the TV, something, you know, like a war movie or whatever. Right. And Richard Jewell, because he's trying to he's like starting to take cues from Sam Rockwell about like being, you know, just smarter, for lack of a better yeah. word, about how they're conducting themselves. He like kind of snaps at her and he turns off the TV and he's like, you can't be like listening to like loud explosions when you know they're listening to us. And Kathy Bates just in a fucking just perfect moment just immediately like locks up and like gets up and like goes into the bathroom. It's like the most mom thing, you know, and then yeah. his reaction to it is just like, oh, like that equal yeah. parts like. God damn it, mom. And at the same time, like, I'm so sorry. Like, and it's this perfectly yeah, rendered sequence. It's so good. Yeah. Um, the one thing about this, and, and I really like this movie too, I, I, a lot. And Can we talk the about one the thing, elephant in the room? Well, with, I think well, Billy Ray's getting there. Are you getting there? Well, go, go. The, yeah. one, the one thing I hate is Olivia Wilde. Yes. Okay, good. I, 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 I don't, <laughs> look, I'm not a fan of her as an actor anyway. I never have been. I, 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 I just, she doesn't connect with me. And I think she is so... I, I I think she's both miscast and this role is misplaced. Yeah. I don't think you need this role here. I think you could eliminate this role from the film and you're fine. You don't need this role. Yeah. And she brings nothing to it. She is annoying. I, I, I hate every scene that she is in in this film. And, um, you know, John Hamm, I think, is is fine. I, I think that that he has that his scenes are all with her for the more yeah. predominantly with her is is kind of the hard part. But I think he's really good in a lot of the the scenes in this. But like, I just can't stand her. I can't stand yeah, her. It's a I think she's so bad in this. Look, it's a tough. There's really no getting around th that it is a tough performance. I mean, it is a really bad performance what by i Olivia think Wall. I what mean, i what i think and it also it undercuts 
I think what the movie because it's like look if if someone also this if someone's like watching movies wrong it's really easy to like watch a Clint Eastwood movie and try and pick out the things that like feel deeply conservative or yada 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 that you want to be like oh this is the fucking Fox News talking point he's trying to like whatever and what's a bummer about the Olivia Wilde character and performance and just the, the all of it is it feels like fodder for that fight right because yeah, it does yeah. feel like you're it, it, she's she was a real person she died of a drug overdose I believe in like 2007 or something like that yeah thereabouts um but which obviously that that whole part of it makes it even grosser but even that aside like the existence of the character at this level of just total ferocity let's say it feels it feels like eastwood and maybe billy right you know i'm i'm i'd be curious to know like at what stage this character was formed or whatever but it feels like he needed a punching bag for like that part of the theme of the movie that like the media, yeah. the media machine is the thing that chewed Richard Jewell up. And to your point, like you don't need, it's pretty obvious. Like anytime anybody is in front of microphones or cameras or whatever, like that feeding frenzy is apparent. And like the atmosphere. And you also have the real footage. You have yeah. all of this real footage yeah. that you could have used, which would have been way more effective yeah. than having her being like some, representative of that you know and well, like just for context so she is the the she's the local journalist who's like yeah. strived by ambition right like skirts yeah. every rule right like uses her sexual wiles on you know the you know, the whoever the agent in charge is to yeah. get whatever information right and yeah it's it's certainly the weakest part of the film. I think Ham, as you said, Billy Ray is very strong in the film because I think what he exudes, and I always think he's he's done well by his good looks in this respect. He exudes the way a good looking person would feel about Richard Jewell, which is like, I don't fucking care about you. Yeah, well, he's got like, he's got jock energy. He's like, got like, like not only yeah, like yeah. not only do I not care yeah. about you, right? But I have disdain. That yeah. you are alive. Yeah. Like, yeah. and the fact that you are living and I have to even like deign my time to deal with you is such a waste of, of me. Right. Like, yeah, that's, that's what he exudes. And it really is effective because it's like, and look, that's the thing with the, look, you brought up the conservative thing with Eastwood. It's like, look, that he, I hate that misbegotten no, no, no. trope. I, I agree. No, no, I know. Yeah, I, know yeah. no, I know. But I'm saying like, I hate that misbegotten trope with Eastwood because like, watch his, watch his 35 directed films. And like, you yeah. will not see a more nuanced filmmaker in regards to like, you know, the American experience. Okay. Go yeah. watch honky tonk man and talk to me about fucking like, you know, conservatives you know conservatism you know what i mean like i his personal politics be damned i'm just saying like well that's the artist that's i guess himself, what i'm saying like, like that's that's the know. bummer because it's like the personal politics almost yeah. make him a more impressive filmmaker because it's just he's just exudes on screen like uh to your point like a higher level of nuance than you would maybe 
expect right or yeah there's so i mean dude i could point to a million yeah his his superb adaptation of midnight in the garden of evil which i love right i I personally i love that and i just think the wild character it 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 doesn't destroy the movie for me but it really does kind of kneecap that effort because yeah the even if even if you want to put this movie in the box of like parroting like a you know right wing like oh the liberal media and blah 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 right like even if you want to put it in that box the movie executes this in a way that's like doesn't other than the olivia wilde character portray it incorrectly right like it's like it's correct in the assertion that this like machine is the thing that destroyed this man's life for the time being but it's also like for every american sniper you have a million dollar baby right exactly for every flags of our fathers you have a letters from iwo jima so it's almost like eastwood in some ways is at war with himself but he is aware of it sure he's like right exactly he's aware of it and he like I, it's like he knows what his personal politics are. He's not unafraid to introduce those in there, but he's also very aware of when he needs to not yeah. and where it's not appropriate. Yeah. Because I would say, I would agree, I would say that the air, the times when he does insert that, it feels necessary to a degree, like, yeah. right? Like, I don't mind him going after the media or doing anything like that as long as you do it in a more compelling way. Yeah, exactly. Like, and, and a more interesting way. And then, like, but, you know, you look at something like... um you know, um, um, what was I going to say? Like, uh, oh God, I'm losing, like American Sniper, which is, you know, Republican jackoff material yes, to a large exactly. degree. I mean, yeah. that's exactly what it is. But this is also the same man who, like, you know, who made Unforgiven, which right. I think is progressive and uh, subversive and is a, you know, as we all know at this point, it's been written to death, is a, you know, he's taking this very Republican, very conservative, very macho, masculine myth of the West and completely deconstructing it. Yeah. Well, and, and, like, and even and even six years before Unforgiven, perhaps his most underrated movie, which I would have, I, personally, I would argue is even better than Unforgiven. Even are, you thinking like Heart, Unforgiven. are you thinking Heartbreak Ridge? No, no, no. I was thinking uh, Pale, Pale Rider. Right, right. Know? Is an incredible Western, and really, yeah. the, people always credit Unforgiven as being like the anti-Western or whatever. And I would, I would argue, Pale Rider is the beginning of that, where he's basically Pale Rider. He's kind of doing High Plains Drifter, but like flipping it. And yeah. I, I find it incredibly compelling. And I just think like the guy made Bird. You know, yeah, what I mean? yeah. the Charlie Parker movie is like yeah. a complicated movie about a drug addled genius. Like, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah. I'm just saying it's like it's he's had such a interesting a perfect world is like, oh, well, that's a masterpiece. That's, but, I mean, um, that's his, probably the that's best thing best he's movie. ever made. Yeah. I it's would a, I would say I would. You know. Well, I, I can't I can't say that because Unforgiven exists. But I mean, just his three like. Unforgiven into a perfect world in the bridges of Madison County. Oh my like, god! Yeah. How what much more varied do you get as yeah. a filmmaker? Exactly, what a run. exactly. Like, or as an actor, yeah. like as an actor, for God's sakes, like he—he's just—he's got such an impressive body of work. And yes, he's got clunkers in there. Every filmmaker with this many films under their belt is going to have clunkers. But even the films that people think are clunkers, like Blood Work, is one of my favorite oh, Clint I Eastwood love, movies. I yeah. love Blood Work. Blood yeah. Work is amazing. Absolute, absolute and that run there. Like, and let's be clear, that run from Space Cowboys to Blood Work to Mystic River to Million Dollar Baby, what a fucking run. Yeah, it's a Space, good run. Cow- Space Cowboys is one of the most entertaining fucking movies you can ever throw on. Yeah, it's a, and you know what's funny? You know who's in the very beginning of Space Cowboys? John Hamm. 
Oh, oh interesting. Wow. interesting. He's a stand. He's a stand-in for like the young oh. astronauts. Back when That's he was funny. fifty. Back when he was fifty. Back when he was fifty. Star. Back when he was the star of the Lifetime show, The District. If you remember yeah. that. Yeah. Oh, I, I do remember that. Just to bring oh, it back to yeah. Richard Jewell, real quick, because I do want to talk about like your. The, like the pretty people complex thing that like exists in this movie, which I do think is very interesting. It is kind of funny though, that like it's John Hamm and Olivia Wilde. Yeah. Who, like, and they suck. And, right? and, like, they, as... and they just, and they both exude like quarterback and cheerleader energy, yeah. right? Like prom, yeah. prom yeah. king and queen energy. And like, right? like, and like the rock. And that's why the Rockwell perform. I mean, Rockwell, you know, a Kathy Bates, a Kathy Bates all his own, right? In terms of just a guy who, if he shows up, you're mostly like, oh, well, thank God Sam Rockwell's here. Yeah. I'll enjoy well, this. Well, that's part of you it, know. though, is like, how's a Rockwell and Bates are in a totally different film than Ham yes. and Wild? Yeah, yeah. They're yeah. in a totally different film. They are, they are like, they're on a totally different level as performers, I think. Yeah. But also, they're just in a different movie. Like, they understood the assignment and, and the seriousness of the assignment. And John Hamm and Olivia Wilde just feels like well, the they, seriousness is is the thing right because especially yeah. the easiest comp obviously with olivia wilde is faye dunaway and network right sure the difference being network is a satire is a very yeah. insane satire so the faye dunaway performance is incredible because it it keys into everything the rest of the movie is doing and is allowed you know, that that like going to 11 constantly, whereas like I feel I, you know, I can't corroborate this in terms of like, I don't you know, who knows. But I feel like as part of her process, Olivia Wilde must have like grabbed onto that. Right. Like well, as a yeah. as like a level of inspiration or a mood board of sorts. Well, and I blame Eastwood a, a fair amount for that perform for her performance, because I mean. You know, he wanted to get out of there by lunchtime. Is the thing. Well, exactly. But that's the thing is, like Rockwell, Bates, and Ham have been around so long, and they're so good at their craft. And I, I just think Hauser is innately a gifted performer and understand. Like I, I really like him a lot as an actor. Oh, great, great actor. And and Olivia Wilde doesn't have as much experience, isn't as skilled in that, and Clint Eastwood notoriously does one two takes and moves on. Right. And I think that is okay with someone like Sam Rockwell and Kathy Bates. It's not as okay for someone like Olivia Wilde. Sure, and no, I, I think that's a hundred percent correct. Yeah. yeah, and and I so I have to you know obviously it's his it's Eastwood's film. I have to put a lot of that blame on him as much as I you know I do Olivia Wilde because and also just I, and and unfortunately I have to put a lot of that on my namesake Billy Ray. Yeah, because I don't think that character was just I just don't think it was necessary. I think there was a more creative way to get the same message across that didn't require adding this character that the film just doesn't need and that brings the film and, down. And I think, frankly, there's a way to leave the character in it and dial down the venom by, you know, 200 yeah. percent. Yeah. Even, you know, and yeah, she's probably in less scenes because what's weird, too, is, you know, because she's in it so much, they also try and kind of pivot it into this like. Redemption story is the wrong word that I'm looking for, but certainly like by the end of the movie, it seems that she like has a sort of a crisis of conscience or whatever. And kind yeah, of. Yeah. Yeah. Which I yeah, don't buy at no, all. No, I don't. And that's kind of the problem, yeah. right? Is like they've spent so much time just letting her dig her own grave, as it were, that like by the end of the movie, you're like, yeah, I don't. Why do well, I care? And how like, about why the do fact, I care? <laughs> and how about the fact that this was almost directed by Paul Greengrass? Starring Jonah Hill and Leonardo DiCaprio. And I guarantee you, I would almost bet money that if that version had gone through, 
the Kathy Bates role would have been played by Jackie Weaver. <laughs> that's I almost guarantee it. It would have been Jackie Weaver. And that's no slam on Jackie Weaver. I do think she's a bit overrated, but that is no slam on I was, Jackie I'm Weaver. To, I was trying to think of like a good what is the line green, I love Greengrass collaborator. Maybe, what is but, the line I love from Silver? Lining's playbook, where she's like, "I'm making snacky something in well, homemades," or what is yeah, that? Yeah, well, well, yeah, it's something like that. But that is that in Animal Kingdom, I think, are her two best performances. Yeah, I, I think she's a little too performative most of the time in order for me to really latch on to her in a in a film. Sure, sure. But but she's not in this. But I think she would have been the the Kathy Bates role had that original version gone through. And thank God it didn't. I don't want to even imagine Jonah Hill playing this role. And I like Jonah Hill. Okay. But like I don't even want to imagine him playing Richard Richard Jewell, and I sir, I just I'm sure DiCaprio would have been fine as the Sam Rockwell role, but not as good as Sam Rockwell in it. Right? No, no. Yeah, I and mean, you can't. They, I think they both get producer credits on the on this yeah. film. Actually, yeah, they, they do. Yeah, yeah, they yeah, they're developing. And yeah. the thing, I mean, the thing with the Jonah Hill of it all too is like Jonah Hill doesn't have like the the beautiful thing about the Paul Walter Hauser performance is that even though he seems like he might not be all there like in his eyes he is like that's the thing like and it's you can see him almost constantly like being perceptive and reading the room well, and he is smarter that's he, yeah he is smart that's what than I'm you think he that's is. what right. i'm saying yeah. and it's it's the, but it's there in the performance where like you might think his face has kind of this like glazed over look to it but like if you really look at what he's doing He's like yeah. always observing and whatever. And it's what makes, you know, the moment yeah. he has with Rockwell so yeah. lovely and heartbreaking. And he's like, you think I don't know that these people are making fun of me when they say things like cop to cop yeah. and whatever. Like, he's like, I know, like, you know. Yeah. Um, and you wouldn't have just, yeah, just a lesser performer might not have given you that passive listening, you know, or act active, sorry, active listening. Yeah, Hauser's a, a really skilled actor who I don't think gets as much credit as as he deserves. And, and I mean, he's real. I think he really understands performance in, in a real way. And, and I say the other heartbreaking thing about this in a good way is like, you know, Richard Jewell died in 2007. So died really young, died in his early I 40s. I mean, this thing really killed him. I mean, it did. Well, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And like, but the, then the fact, which is true, which is like, you know, the fact that his mom still babysits the Sam Rockwell character's kid is like a really nice and sweet like coda to this where it's like they kind of adopted her right, in a yeah. weird way after he died. And I just think that's really beautiful because obviously she had nobody at that point. Right. So it's yeah. like, I think that's really a sweet coda to this and, and that character who just seems like a really sweet character. Um, yeah. yeah oh, I mean boy. Bates, uh, it's such a lovely, lovely performance, and I think, I mean, a great last, a, a great last movie. Let me ask. Um, well, hopefully kind of, not. Or hopefully not a last movie for no, Ken. no, for us. No, I'm for kidding. Us. I'm kidding. No, um, I'm kidding. Let um, let's all just recommend one other one. Um, well, I was gonna. Say, I mean, there's a lot. I, I let me just recommend Angus because I love it, and she's great in it. She's Angus's mom. Um, it's just a movie I love. And like, I had almost forgotten about it. And when, thanks to you, Billy Ray, and, and, and doing this episode, I was like, oh my God, Angus, I need to rewatch that movie. That was so important yep. to me mm. as a younger person. And then another one, totally random. This is not star um, Kathy Bates, but I wonder, Billy Ray, if you've seen this film. 
Do you remember a film around the same time called The Mighty with Sharon Stone? Oh, oh I know The Mighty yeah. very well. Love it is The it. Mighty. It is well, it. Yeah, yeah. Mighty. Yeah, Mighty is great. Mighty is great. The Mighty I, know that Elden, well. I believe it's Eldon Henson is, is, what, well, is in that film. I, he I is, think, yeah. I think that's, is that that one or is that a Mighty Heart? No, The Mighty is 1998. Let me, I'm looking it up right now. It's Elton Henson, and it's Kieran Culkin. I think you're right. It's Kieran Culkin. I think you're right, yeah. You're right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's Peter Peter Chelsom, director of Town and Country. You get some some Gillian Anderson, I believe, for your Gina Gina Rollins, and that's all that matters. Yeah, Yeah, James Gandolfini, I think, is the the bad guy. Yeah. Um, Anyway. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I can't not go with my favorite Kathy Bates performance, and that's Primary Colors. I think she is, and she got an Oscar nominated for that one also. Like, she plays sort of the Bill Clinton, the proxy, the Bill Clinton proxies, um, sort of, uh, not campaign manager, but sort of like his his confidant, like his sort of mentor and like, like guru in a weird way. And just the scene in the in the truck where i mean people i mean i'm not i don't care about spoiling this necessarily but the scene where she kills herself Mm. because everything that she has put her hopes in everything that she has put her her hand like she's put so much of herself into this and she's now realized that she's put it into something that is tainted and like that scene in the truck where she she has that conversation and she's just crying and it's like that is such a gut punch. And that scene still wrecks me to this day. I think about it all the time. She brings so much to it. And and also Primary Colors, such an incredible movie. Like, I mean, that Mike Nichols, Elaine May, like one of the most impressive ensemble casts ever assembled for a film. Ever. Like yeah, frankly, Billy Bob ever. Playing James but Carville. not even just that. But also like Larry Hagman. Yeah. Fucking J.R. Ewing from Dallas in a terrific role as the Governor Picker character. Like, what? Like, just the casting is off the charts of this. Like, even Alice and Janney in that opening scene as the teacher. Like, it just, like, just. It's oh. a great. It's a great it's movie. Incredible. And it's movie. funny because Travolta. We just said Civil Action. This is. I wanted Travolta's better performances oh, too. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. I would say Civil Action, Pulp Fiction, and this are top three. Hands yeah, down it's from... hard to think of what another one. I guess Saturday Night Fever has, has to be up there. Get Shorty um, too. Get yeah, Shorty and blow, and blow out. I mean, get uh, get like... Shorty and blow out for sure. Saturday Night Fever. I just I don't think his performance is great. In but that. He's so, I, I guess I guess I always give weight to like it's so iconic though. It's it's like... iconic, but his performance is just sure. It, sure, it is yeah, what it is. Yeah. Like anybody. I mean, well, I'm not gonna say anybody could have played that role because that's not true. But like anybody could have acted that role. I guess I just think that's such a I, I I do love Saturday Night Fever. That's a great. That's a movie that's like yeah. And see, I think I'm just I've never been the biggest Saturday Night Fever fan. Yeah, never yeah, never never it. been I a huge it. fan. Yeah, but like yeah. but um but yeah I but yeah that's the one I would go with would be would be that one. Yeah, Primary Colors. What about you, Con? Uh, we did kind of glaze over it a little bit before, but and it's not a B side. Um, but uh, I would tell everybody to watch Fried Green Tomatoes. I think that movie. I think that movie rules. Guy, yeah, um, it does. And I this I did not know. I just kind of looked it up. I just just to check. I did not know that it was like a monster hit. Like oh yeah, huge. I, I like huge. knew I knew it was like a hit. I did not know that it made like a hundred million dollars. I mean, I think Steel Magnolias <laughs> gets you got you got to give a lot of credit. Right, to Steel it gives Magnolias. it, it kind of gives it you know, the juice like, of yeah. 
Yeah, you yeah, it, it absolutely gives it that juice. But also, it was a huge hit because that book was a monster. That smash was a hit. huge like, moment. That it book. was that book was everywhere. Is that like an Oprah they, book club book feels like it pre book will, club, but uh, yeah, pre book club. But like Fanny Flag is like as close to Alabama legend as you get. Like sure, she's okay. she's one. Oh, she would be on the Mount Rushmore of like Alabama talent. Oh, and, actually, this reminds me. You brought Fanny Flag, and I'll, I'll link to some of these in the article. Um, Kathy, Kathy Bates, a great interview. I was like watching late night appearances and she did the, the Vanity Fair, like my career roles and stuff, you know, so honest, so like open and just like, I mean, like Billy Ray said, like she's done a bunch and gotten that's what a I'm bunch. She was like, talking what about she? Fried yeah. Tomatoes and she was like singing the praises of Fanny Flag is why I remembered it. So I would just encourage like if this, if any of this is interesting to you. Like any of those interviews, she seems very giving and like it feels very warm Mm. and like kind of exactly the type of interview you'd want to watch in terms of the comfort level of like whatever late night bullshit or, you know, canned Vanity Fair GQ, my career this far stuff, like really, really good stuff. Well, and a a shout out you mentioned, I have to shout out uh, the, the late great Tim Scott who plays Smokey Lonesome in that film, uh, yeah, who is yeah. also plays P.I. in my beloved Lonesome Dove yeah. uh, uh, series, who passed away in 95. So that long, you know, passed away young in 95, but so good in it. And like, yeah, Fried Green Tomatoes doesn't get the respect it deserves, I think, because it is so Southern. It is all these things. But that film slaps so hard. It is so well told. It John Avnet directs the hell out of yeah. it. And, um, you know, and he followed and I don't want to go on a tangent there, but he follows it up with a film that I think is underrated also called The War with we, Kevin Costner. And we Elijah talked Wood. about that on our Kevin Costner episode. <laughs> I love The War. And um, I and I, I think Abnett is a, a slept on filmmaker to a degree also. Yeah. Abnett also producer who direct to directs. Yes. Um, yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. And is interest is just an interest. I as a producer mostly well this was his i'm always fascinated no no yeah i was i'm always fascinated by producer directors is all i was gonna say yeah well fragrant tomatoes was also his first film as a director which is like crazy Crazy. impressive crazy crazy impressive that that was his first film as a producer or as a as a director as a director yeah Um, no no no. but let's be clear but like you know there are so i mean we could we could name out we could rattle off 20 more kathy bates films that i yeah that she's great what would you like to see her do next you know like well i mean I know we I mean, talked I, a little bit before about how like it's weird she hasn't popped up in franchises or whatever, but like aside from that, yeah, I I would say I don't know. I would just love to see someone give her another leading role. I would yeah, love to see her get another leading role, and because that's like the answer, yeah, yeah, I would love to see like one like a newer sort of upper like you know an Ari Aster or a, mm. or a fucking, um, you know, or a PTA or, or someone like a real fucking Gil- auteur. Gilroy, Gilroy could you know, do it. Like, yeah. Take a fucking auteur who would actually know what, what he's got, like, mm-hmm. like with her, no, who knows what he would have with her and it would really be able to give her something. Well, you know what, actually, um, uh, like what about her as the lead of a Nicole Hofsener movie? Oh, love, yeah. Love that. Yeah, I that. could, I, I could, I could, I could potentially see that. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, I'm just, I'd love to see her in a fucking Spielberg movie. 
Like sure. Spielberg, to my knowledge, has never worked with her. I, I don't, don't think, think so. so. Yeah, I like I would so. love to see her in a Spielberg movie. Like give feel, her that does feel insane. Actually, it feels <laughs> right. It feels like she would be perfect for a Spielberg film. Right. And like or like fuck like Todd Salons, Todd yeah. Salons. Mm. Put Kathy Bates. Like I don't know. Just like someone like take like put her in something that is like worthy of her. And not that all these films aren't worthy of her. She brings so much to them. But put her in something that is really worthy of her talent, where she can really sink her teeth into it, you know, like she does in Richard Jewell, but in a bigger way. I wonder yeah. if she is just maybe also in the pocket of like, let me, f you know, like the are you there, God, it's me, Margaret type thing of like, yeah, let me just like show up for like, well, uh, I think part of it too days, is, you know, she's like, had a lot of health issues like mm. she's had cancer, you know, she's had cancer fights and stuff. So she's had a lot of health issues, which I'm sure has affected what kinds of movies she can do. And sure. she may simply just not have the energy to do leading roles like she used to. It What's may her be... boy, James, Ca James Cameron can't drum up an avatar three role for her. Come on. Right. You right. know, get like, her to absolutely. be like another one of the corporate suits or something alongside Giovanni or something. I would love yeah, it. Why not? Just... But also like this miracle club movie, which I'm going to go see tomorrow, which is getting mixed reviews, but it's like, she's a lead in that. I mean, it's a three person. It's a three hander and she's one of the leads in it. So it's like, you know, I clearly she's she's got that in her. Mm. Um, I just yeah, I just I want to I want to see I, I would like to see her have it without having to be surrounded by other talented women. Like, let her be the fucking focus. Let sure. her be the the shining star of the project. I agree. Yeah, yeah. I would love nothing more. Yeah. Um, Billy Ray, tell us all the cool podcast things you have going. Oh, Jesus. We well, um, well, I obviously host the incinerator. We're on a a. We're not really on a sabbatical. Like we take, we always take a mid-season break, but like we're not really on the mid-season break. We're just like, you know, scheduling the incinerator is trickier than scheduling anything else. So it's so we're actually in the next like month we're going to be recording like more incinerator episodes than I can even wrap my head around. So you're going to be getting a deluge soon. But um, but we're still even when we don't drop new episodes of Incinerator, we we drop episodes of our Cut as You Go series, and we're yeah. almost at the end of our Michael Mann series that i did with darren franich um so incinerator is still going strong uh then movie mixtapes is my newest podcast but it's kind of a rebrand of movies with gravy we're four or five episodes in we've got a lot of really cool guests coming up including the aforementioned billy ray uh you know brian screenwriter brian duffield um like all sorts of really cool people and then um i also host a political podcast called center clueless Mm. Uh, which me and my buddy Eric Sorwell, whose home I'm actually staying in right now in Los Angeles. Um, Eric's it's... got a lovely looking kitchen, by the way. Thank you very much. <laughs> this is actual. This is actually his. Uh, he built this guest house for his mother-in-law, who oh, okay. is who has finally gotten her U.S. citizenship after 15 years. Oh, and is congr gonna be congratulations! Yeah, and so it's a it's a political podcast. We, you know, we don't proclaim to be political experts. We just are probably more knowledgeable than not. And uh, and we're definitely more centrist than we are like crazy left or crazy right. Sure. So we try to look at it from all sides and kind of not be zealots about it. So those are my three podcast projects, tons of other stuff in the works, but not worth talking about yet. No, man. And look, I'm, I'm a listener to most, if not all of it. And you you obviously do great work and and um, more incinerators, more incinerators, always a great thing. And oh, I know. We thank, thank you, you for uh, 
Taking the time to talk bass. And suggesting it. it. You know, it's not not one of the ones it. we would have maybe necessarily picked out, but Well, that's what I, I that's I love, what I try to do. I love when this happens though, where it's like someone who you know, you is always great. And like you said, I, I probably like a lot of people took her for granted. And then you watch some of these movies and you're like, oh, Roush, really? And also, you know, hand to God, I, another thing I think of constantly is the um, the silverware scene from Titanic. Oh, no. I, I think, oh. literally anytime I'm Every at a restaurant that a has more. In front yeah, of me, like if it's, I think of, you know, start from the yeah. start from the outside, work your way in. That's it's all Kathy's <laughs> doing. It's all Kathy's doing. Kathy. Yeah. Kathy did it. Kathy, yeah. Kathy just does. It's like, it you're just time. about the same size as my son. She's like, <laughs> oh, you look as pretty as a penny. Like there is every scene she's in in that freaking movie. And it's the kind of performance that like anybody, uh, like I feel like it gets a little bit made fun of because it feels like such a caricature or well, whatever. It's like the Billy but, Zane thing gets yeah, made fun of constantly. But, it was so stupid. But, but she and Zane are the two people who the most well, know what movie they're in. So, well, but she's also yeah. like, but her character was a larger than yes. life character. She yeah. was the unsinkable Molly, Molly Brown. Brown. Like, like she yeah. understood the assignment. Yeah. She's like she she understood it. She and so it. did Billy Zane. Like be clear, one of Billy Zane's best roles in Titanic. Oh, yeah. He's great. Abs yeah. Amazing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Something Picasso. He'll never amount to anything. Mark my words. <laughs> yeah. like, no, no, amazing. Yeah. Amazing, amazing shit. But that uh, but that whole cast, like Jonathan Hyde and like everybody in that everybody. movie is like is like crushing it. And and it's David so much Warner fun. as like the needlessly <laughs> evil henchman. Yes. Like Yes. so good He's how many so times great. has my wife i mean hand to god in the last five years been like dan do the line do the line from titanic i'm like i put the diamond on the coat <laughs> and i, I put the coat on, on her without a doubt one of my favorite <laughs> moments of any movie it's amazing um, all right well that was fun so connor i will pass to you to, to finish us up i will just say uh, at DJ Mecca on Twitter, um, at DJ Mecca on threads, I guess. I don't, yeah, I, I'm on there. I, you can find me or no, it's Instagram. So I don't know, Dan Mecca. I don't know what my Instagram handle is. <laughs> I'm, a, um, I'm about to join Blue Sky finally. So I've got my invite. I, I just haven't set it up I'm yet. I'm over so. there now as well. And You're I'm on like, Blue Sky Con? I'm yeah. like starting to kind of, I don't want to be one of those people who like double post stuff. So I'm trying to use Blue Sky just for like the, Hey, here's a podcast episode, or I wrote a thing, right, or whatever right, right. kind of thing. Um, but I'll save I'll save the dumpster fire of Twitter for all my landfill takes. You know. Um, oh, I'm off, I'm <laughs> off Twitter as soon as possible. I'm off Twitter the moment that I can. Like, I'm within the next month or two. I'm done with Twitter. And who yeah. and who could that seems blame to you? Be going that way. It seems to be going uh, that way. Um, for the and time. That's it. So yeah, I'll yeah. I was just gonna say for the time being, you can find this podcast on Twitter and Facebook and Letterboxd at TFSB side. If you like what you've heard, please do rate, review, and subscribe wherever you are listening. We greatly appreciate it. Uh, Billy Ray, thank you again so much for the suggestion of this topic and for coming to join us and all of, all the movie suggestions because it's a good. We didn't really talk about rankings or whatever, but it is a good uh, little mix of. Of yeah. movies, most of which are, are, I would say, pretty good, which doesn't always happen here. So thank you for that. Hashtag and Bobo forever. Bobo forever. Bobo Bates oh, Bobo. forever. And like we said, you know, she's always a value add. So always the movies may not be a catch, but we'll always take the base. Oh, God. Oh, my God. All right. So. And now you're listening to the B-side.